0: Tiki Taka Roscommon. Xavi and Iniesta tipping the ball back and forth. Galway are a lot further
1: ahead than common at this. But common as Jared said, are going to do damage in this championship.
2: Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts.
3: OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.
4: Right, it's Thursday morning, it's the 15th of June, you're very welcome along to OTBAM. Uh, we've got a very busy programme for you, we're going to be here all the way until 10 o'clock and we're uh, covering pretty much everything that there is that's moving at the moment in the world of sport. And uh, it's one of those down days where everybody's waiting for something to start, like the US Open or the football tomorrow night. How's everybody feeling about football? Uh, you know, as the game approaches, suddenly the magnitude of it becomes closer and closer. Shane, good morning to you, how are you? Good morning, how's all? Uh, so, the Dutch were beaten last night in extra time by Croatia. Um, Croatia's still doing Croatia things. Mm. And so they're through to the final of the Nations League. Is that what, is that what it's called? We have a Nations League, yes. Yeah. it's yeah. the one. Uh, Italy plays Spain tonight in the second semi. Game mm-hmm. went extra time last night. Nico Modric still going strong ah. in extra time. Ridiculous. This, this it, fella's a good player, it turns out.
0: Unbelievable, Jeff. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. My dad was in um, Dubrovnik and Montenegro last week with his siblings for a little trip. And nice. came back and he had a brilliant, it's it's fake, it's, well, it's not an original jersey, but a very good replica, Croatia jersey, the red and white with Modric 10 in the back for me. It's a beautiful piece of kit. It's fantastic. I've, I've fallen in love with it straight away and Modric is one of those players I've always admired and loved, so I'm going to get some use out of it. Possibly festival use as well. Oh, yeah. That's ah, perfect, like. Oh, yeah. There wear a bucket, bucket hat and a Croatia top. Yeah. Where you go.
4: It's lucky you're already in a relationship now, Shane. It's true, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorted. That's breaking news for the airwaves. Then. There you go, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, you, you put it on Instagram, it's public now. True, yeah. Sorry to let everyone down.
0: Um, oh, is I not supposed to? No, no, of course no. Absolutely. It's, it's out there in the ether. All
4: right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs>
0: You're in a relationship too, it's okay
4: Fair yeah, enough, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty if anybody wants to get in touch with us on WhatsApp, you can also uh, leave a comment. Youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Um the thing I was just chatting to Phil outside and he was like the Dutch weren't that good last night, so mm. that that actually adds an extra layer of frisson to this game. Like it's possible they just pie off this campaign and it doesn't make a blind bit of difference to them. Mm. Do they have they already qualified for the Euros as a result of reaching the semi-finals last night? Is that is that does that have an impact on? I don't I don't know. We need to call Kevin Caban for the permutations. Exactly. Here. Yeah, but like I, I, there's a gazillion ways for everybody still to qualify, right? So they might not be that into this campaign. Yeah, um, and they might just like. Uh, so that uh, I guess basically there's a world in which the winner of Ireland, Greece, who gets the most points, finishes, scrapes into a second place mm-hmm. through the back door, which would be huge. Obviously, Greece, I, Greece are already qualified or at least have reached a playoff. What, uh,
0: yeah, they've reached a playoff. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I love the way we're trying to rationalise it. We say, oh, the Dutch and the Greeks don't care about playing us. It's fine. Uh, we, we need some results from it. Like, It doesn't feel like the kind of group where both Ireland and Greece lose both games to the Dutch and lose both games to the French and then they're relying on who beats the like the likes of Gibraltar by more. I feel like there are, there are going to be one or two results against the Dutch or the French yeah, okay. that are
4: unexpected. You can see the French dropping points, right? Mm. Now, will it come in September against us? I mean, maybe. Or will it come in Athens? You know, they could easily, again, phone one in and as the campaign wears on and they, they are already qualified... There's a game at the end where they're like, "Ah, this doesn't matter. We mm. play our B team." Um,
0: yeah. I'd like to think that I, I found it fascinating, and I only heard about it this morning. The the goals that Stephen Kenny has been showing to the t- to the team. I mean, it's the, the the pick of
4: goals is about as random as you can possibly imagine. It's pretty small. It's a pretty small pick of goals. So for anybody who's wondering what we're talking about, there's um, I, th- I think this is standard fare. So everyone's like, Whoa, "What's going on here?" So, yeah. Um, a motivational video a tiny part of the uh, two weeks of preparation that they've had so it was, well, it's even longer now at this stage there was how long was Bristol was it five days in Bristol four days Bristol and okay, then so a week and, for, and ten, ten days in yeah. um, uh, ten days in, in Turkey so that's two weeks together um, with a, a break in between mm. um, the, the, the there was a video shown at some point which was our away winners um, over the years uh, big away wins do you have the list? I have the list. So Mark Lawrence's goal in Scotland—that's that's a big game. In fairness, like that was a Scotland team who, you know, back when Scotland were a really good team. <laughs> now some of the some of the teams in this list aren't quite as as
0: good. Uh, John Aldridge against Malta in nineteen ninety. You've got Staunton and Cascarino against Albania in ninety four. Uh, Gary Kelly's goal against the Cypriots in oh two. Some people might might remember that one. Uh, Keith Fahey against Armenia in twenty twelve, which we had to look up this morning just to. Jagged memory. It was a lovely at the finish at the bottom left corner. Yeah. Ball falls to him nicely from a uh, Robbie Keane causing disruption and uh, Aidan McGeady against Georgia 2016. So yeah, away away winners from players that uh, and I think this is the point that Kenny was trying to make you know, it might be your first goal for your country tomorrow night but it could be huge. Um, and, and it will mean so much to score, to score a late winner, like, to get the three points, the difference in three points and, and a point tomorrow night.
4: Yeah, although, look, uh, again, I, I see you and Vinny talking about a win. I would take a good performance and a draw and a goal. Like, I'd be mm. happy with us having a, a good performance and a draw and a goal away from home and then beating Gibraltar soundly and then going into September with a large, ho- hopefully our full pick of available players and, um, and progress. Like, yeah, this is the bit where we've got to see some progress because he's had the group for such a period of time. I'm sure there are some injuries, but um, you know, like the difference between having Coleman and not having Coleman is, is really important in terms of leadership. Mm. Like Somebody else was talking about the age group of the strikers. Dan was talking about it last night with Joe. And in the papers today, somebody else is writing about the fact that we have uh, Ferguson, Obafemi, Paris. Um, Mikey Johnson is the the senior member of the forwards at 24. (laughs) It's uh, 24, 22, 21, 18. Um, And Dan was comparing them to the Euro 2016 group, where it was Robbie at 35, Darren Murphy at 32 or 33. Um, Walters, was he in it as well? Walters, Kevin Doyle, and Shane Long. Shane Long was the baby of the group (laughs) at that stage, uh, and who had already, you know, had... However many caps he had by that stage, probably the the vast majority of his entire one. So yeah, really young team and uh, hopefully this bit where they've embedded the game plan and explained exactly what everybody is expected to do has been an opportunity for them all to get together, come together and understand that. And now this is the bit where they begin to show what they're capable of. And if that results in a draw, I'd be happy enough at this stage um, and hope that they can get something off the Dutch in the two games mm. like that 's the bit where if you could if you could win one of those two games against the dutch that 's a transformative moment. But if they lose this game, you know if they lose this game, then all of a sudden the knives are out, and yeah. and it 's just difficult because there's you know there 's no rationale for us not to perform as well as this is as good as we 're going to get without the the boost of the confidence of winning.
0: Yeah, like it's it's not going to be a 1002 campaign where you finish ahead of one of the Portuguese or the Dutch with with good performances like we're not going to we're not going to finish ahead of either of those teams. Um but having said that you can get a result against the Dutch uh, that could help you very much finish ahead of Greece, which is the most important thing, uh and get that third spot at least in the group. Um like Stephen Kenny seems confident. I know he has to seem confident, but even the age group of the of the forwards that doesn't that doesn't concern me, doesn't worry me if anything as you say compared to 2016 it's a positive thing like if we were running around still with mid 30 year old strikers that would be a concern um, it's really about game time isn't it Evan Ferguson at least is playing proper Premier League football some of the rest of them aren't really playing week in week out but nobody's played for the last 6-7 weeks so it's kind of left the playing field a little bit uh, the Greek home form is what really worries me
4: Greece are pretty good it turns out
0: yeah it turns out they're a good team um, and and people might not be familiar with many of their their squad players but it's one of those things where they just work together well uh, Gus Poyet has them playing a particular brand of football similar enough brand of football to, to Stephen Kenny you would say definitely possession based especially at home um, like they've got the Lexus Simicas in there and players that you might recognise but I, I think I really think we need to be targeting a win in this one I, I don't share the same um, outlook on a draw I get it. Like if we perform, if we if we play really, really well, and get a one-all draw or whatever, a two-all draw, um, you would take it of course. But but I, I think we're going to look back at the end of this group and say Jesus, there was a win there for us in Greece. Like, did the fourth seeds in the group Greece? I I'm I, I know I'm talking myself into a win here, but I think we're going to need one by the end of the group. Uh, uh, Yeah, we are are definitely going to need a win along the way. Well, well, uh, this game in particular, I think.
4: Well, I I think four points against Greece over the two games would be amazing. Like, we would absolutely Mm. uh, bite your hand off for that at this stage, uh, if that was going to be possible. So, um, we shall see. Some of the other news headlines, like this, I definitely did not believe that this was going to happen. But it looks like it's very, very close to happening. If it doesn't happen at this point, there will be egg on the face of Celtic because the 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 briefing that's been going on from clearly both sides is that a deal is very close to being done between uh, Dermot Desmond and Brendan Rodgers and so that's obviously his unveiling in 2016 uh, the world is a slightly different place now but Brendan Rodgers is um, convinced that he wants to go back and conquer European football at Celtic fair play for both of them really mm. for like deciding that this is the right thing for us Assuming it works, because generally you don't go back in football. Not a huge number of examples of people who have successfully gone back somewhere. Mm. Is Carlo Ancelotti, the best example. He's been to Real Madrid twice.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, like it can work in rare examples. Uh, oh, they know he knows the club. Like turning down Leeds in the process, it seems as well. Does that mean Celtic are a bigger club than Leeds United? We've had this discussion on air one day. Lashing O'Reilly, of course, a keen, fervent Celtic supporter, and uh, Cameron, our own Leeds man, went to blows almost. Jared has to be said over who's the bigger club. You're, you're talking fan base, you're talking stadium, you're talking interest um, and dominance in Europe. Uh, it's 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 a, it's a level, one, but I'm interested to see what people think. But my point is, Brendan Rodgers has decided Celtic are a bigger club than Leeds. Maybe he's just sick of the Premier League. Like he's had, his, he's had his time with Leicester there the last couple of years and probably
4: wants to get back up to somewhere where he's well thought of. I, is that a stretch now? I think he was beloved until he walked away yeah. and that was seen as an act of treachery by many Celtic fans who were like, no, you can't go and take a smaller club in their eyes. Mm. In uh, Now, he nearly turned them into... Uh, Champions League team which was, would have been one of the all-time great managerial achievements like obviously Ranieri winning the league is kind of a unicorn event but the fact that Rodgers got them to within a match two seasons in a row of the Champions League if they could just have got over the line mm. in either of those and look in one of those seasons he prioritised winning the FA Cup and they did that and they had that trophy so like it, it's all-time great period in uh, Leicester City's life now he does bear some responsibility for the fact that the team won't be playing in the Premier League next season even though he didn't take them down. <laughs> Maybe he would have got them out of it. Who knows? Mm. Uh, but that, that's the hypothetical situation. I think Brendan Rodgers is a good manager and I know people don't like him because he has self-confidence. <laughs> um, uh, but his teams play good football. Like His teams do play good football. They're, they're good to watch. Mm. Um, Turns out he's a very good manager. Uh, I think that like, if there was an Ireland job in the future, I, you know, his son was capped underage by the Republic of Ireland. There's no reason not to think that... Now, at some point in the future, I'm saying, Mm -hmm. we obviously wouldn't be able to afford him now and he's just gone to Celtic and so that's obviously where he's going to be for the long term. You'd have to assume that John O'Shea is is the um, most likely succession candidate and that Lee Carsley now is obviously coming into sharp relief if he doesn't get the Mm. senior England gig, which doesn't seem to be on his radar we'll see how well he, he does in the under 21 euros under 20 or under 21 euros whatever I, I, I mistake the uh, underage uh, 21s because I think it, it changes is, yeah. so much yeah it's like uh, it's, we, we changed in GAA to under 20s of course we did. But did they not change no they didn't anyway um, so I don't know I think Brendan Rogers as a future items manager I, he, I can get behind this he's in the tier though of,
0: of club managers that are probably slightly too good to be considered for the Irish job do you know the, the managers that you're like. Well, I'm they, saying at the can, moment, yeah. But I so would the next agree with 10, 15, 20 years, Rodgers can get a pretty decent club job. Twenty years is a long time of football. True. Yeah, but like he he he's consistent and like everywhere he has gone so far, he has done good things. If he can keep that going, if his if his love for the game, I'm not saying he's going to be a Roy Hodgson in terms of longevity, but be around for a while yeah, maybe managers get to the point where they, they reach a certain age and they're like international football yeah that's for me pick up your X amount of money per year only have to enter when the international camps come around you can go around to the club matches and watch them and act like you're watching your own players but really you're just watching football um, yeah maybe Brendan Rodgers speaking about the Irish character would be, would be something to, to look forward to
4: are you on the anti Brendan Rodgers train?
0: Anti Brendan Rodgers? No, no, I don't think so. And, and certainly ch- chatting to a lot of my Celtic fan mates in Monaghan, they were keen on Rodgers, and and I I was surprised at that at first because I was like, well, remember how it ended the last time? Um, but no, straight away when Ange Postecoglou's uh, departure to Spurs became a reality, they were like, no, Brendan Rodgers, bring him back. He's the obvious candidate. If it doesn't happen now, as you say, there'll be there'll be a, a joke shop, and I don't know who. We'll come in after that, but it seems it seems relatively close. It's obviously on the back page of this morning. So
4: the other back page that I just want to talk about briefly here is the on the Mirror Gunners have high hopes. Ambitious boss Arteta is ready to move for Chelsea striker Havertz, but wants to cut back in seventy million price tag for Champions League winner. Seventy million is this a is this a is Kai Havertz the missing piece of the jigsaw for that team? a Flaky striker is that what is that what they need? I mean. The chances to goals ratio for Kai Havertz, it's not really what they need, it seems to me. Yeah, but has he just been
0: flaky in a Chelsea team that has A, too many players, and B, too m- too many management changes in the last few years? Like, maybe the solidity of still living in London, but moving to a team with Mikel Arteta in charge is exactly what he needs. Sometimes it's just a small change, the colour in jersey, um, that can change a player's mentality. Havertz is a brilliant footballer, there's no doubt about that. Um...
4: What does he bring to Arsenal? I don't know. Like £70 million. There's a There's an opportunity cost when you sign players of £70 million though because there's other players you could get for that. Yeah. And it seems to me that shopping at Chelsea and Manchester City is generally expensive. They'll say last season worked out with uh, Jay-Z and Zinchenko and I, I do think it's a little bit early for us to just say that that was guaranteed to be 100% success. Let, let's see what happens over the rest of n- the next 18 months, say. Mm. Uh, so far, I'd say on balance good Uh, but not as amazing as everybody is like oh look they transformed the culture of the team it's like yeah okay but like actually a good centre back uh, improvement in midfield play and one of the best attacking young footballers in the world would actually I would argue was more important and there was no significant diminution in the quality of the team when jay Z's went out but that's why spending 60 million on Havertz Mm. seems high for somebody who has done okay in the Premier League you know It's not like he has absolutely torched teams on a consistent basis, week in, week out. No. He's been good in Europe, when he's got
0: the opportunity to be good in Europe. Um, I just think it's been such a mess at Chelsea in the last couple of years that you have to give any player there a little bit of leeway to some degree. I feel like every single transfer is between Chelsea and Arsenal, by the way. There are many times our players either linked or or sent between the two. Uh, And there was the whole Mudrick saga, of course. Last year, like it just seems to happen quite consistently. Havertz is probably a, like is Havertz a Havertz better signing than Miss amount for Manchester United.
4: I don't know. I I'm I'm out on both of these. Can I can I say no to both of them? Is it no. okay if I'm like I'm going to save my 120 million combined and go and sign some players? Like I might just hire Brighton's chief scout and see who's yeah. on their list of players and spend my 120 million on all of the players that they were going to buy and put them out on loan for a couple of years, and then I'll have like five players who are. Brilliant. Uh, Havertz goals in the league Mm. uh, for Bayer Leverkusen from 2016 2017 on. So Leverkusen, four goals in 24 games, three goals in 30 games, 17 goals in 34 games, and then 12 goals in 30 games before he moves to Chelsea. And it's four goals in 27 games, eight goals in 29 games, and seven goals in 35 games. What are you spending 60 70 million on this for? Yeah, but isn't that what,
0: isn't that what a footballer is, is worth nowadays, who does exactly those numbers? You've Seven goals a season, eight goals a season, four I know. goals a
4: season. It's ridiculous, but like... I'm fairly sure this might just be... I don't know if it's... Sorry, I, I, this is on understat.com. I was looking for the XG. And the XG is like nearly double that.
0: Mm. He's,
4: he's underperforming his XG at the moment. Like last season, chronically.
0: Yeah. You'd wonder, like... Does the likes of... Um no know, know something we don't.
4: Well, he's getting rid of him.
0: Yeah, he's getting rid of him. Does he know
4: something we don't, or is he just looking at the stats and going, this is shite, what am I doing? No, go, you go, you go, you go, you go, out. It can come back to bite you, though, selling to to, to teams in the Premier League. Like it, it can. Well, I mean, like, you look at the Bruyne and Salah, obviously, that's two of the worst transfer decisions that were ever made, getting rid of them. Mm. Um, so, look, it can come back to bite you, but... I think if you're getting 50, 60, 70 million for those Chelsea are absolutely delighted
0: Yeah You're going to take it well, they, they outright rejected 40 million for, for Mason Mount Yesterday straight away The first bid from, from Old Trafford um, I Do not Do they want They probably want twice that amount But United are obviously Starting in a place Where they think Mason Mount is worth um, It could be one of those Transfer sagas that goes And United eventually Don't pay what they want um,
4: Manchester United In a transfer saga I know That starts at the start of the season And doesn't finish until the last day Of the transfer window and then the players completely discombobulated for the first six months. And we don't really see the best of them for maybe the first full season. No, that's not going to happen to Manchester United, is it? They're such a well-run club, Shane. I, I'm still, uh, they're not, by the way, a, a whatsoever a well-run club.
0: Um, but I'm still traumatised as a kid by Classy on Huntelaar. He was one, he was like one of my favourite players as a kid. And I remember the, the transfer saga rumbling on through the summer. and I, I just, I'd nearly already bought the jersey. The, uh, you know taking out the mortgage to buy a Classian Huntelaar jersey because every letter costs a little bit extra um, so yeah those, those sagas t- t- tended to rumble on when a, you were a United fan as a kid
4: yeah they were just the league match fixtures for that I was giving you for Havertz there he did play 10 games in the Champions League last season and scored 2 goals so that would improve things slightly but uh, 7 goals and 1 assist in 35 Premier League appearances No, not having a pal
0: mm. Yeah, but you're running off just stats there, chair. What about the the impact he has on a game? What yeah. about man-of-the-match performances? What about involvements in goals? Do you know? I don't know. you got to look at the
4: big picture here. Yeah, yeah, stats yeah. Stats man yeah. over there. Havertz, I just... Um, I, like, he's a good player. And I, I'm sure with a good manager he could be a functional member of a team. And, you know, if he has gone to Arsenal he's not going to be... Uh, required to do stuff week in week out, he'll come into the team instead, or as well as Martinelli and Jesus, and they'll be able to change their, their formation. And maybe that's what they need for an assault in the Champions League. They're going to play slightly different away from home or something. I don't, I, you know, obviously a lot goes into a decision mm. to try and sign a player like that, or else this is Chelsea trying to drum up some sense that actually, you know, what we need to get rid of Havertz here and we need to get rid of there was um, there was one deal Chelsea were linked with, it might be the Onana deal or it's somebody else. Maybe it's a midfielder where they were like oh we'll give you money and you can have your pick of one of these five players as well Mm. and I guess they're hoping that Inter are like oh we'll take all five of them no problems yeah Uh, it's not a great look isn't it when you're offering up to five players you're screwed you are absolutely screwed Um, but again I think Pochettino can turn that around because he can just pick a squad of 18 and that's the squad week in week out and they can play every single game give or take because there's no distractions there's no other tournament or competition for them to play in Mm. so He's got
0: his hands full, Pochettino. Let me tell you, um, yeah, almost, almost of sympathy for Frank Lampard if I have to deal with that
4: that dressing room. No, uh, no, Maybe not quite. And then the other one is uh, the other big story from overnight loyalty bonus. Saturday's planning to pay McElroy for staying put. This was he was he was asked, you know, in the press conference last week, and we haven't seen him do a similar one just yet. I suspect because something is happening in the background. Um, This story is is all over the English papers this morning. PGA Tour players, including Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods, who stayed loyal and turned down lucrative offers from Liv, are set to be rewarded by the very same people who tried to lure them away, according to reports. So basically, uh, they are not going to be sacrificial lambs. They are not going to be uh, punished for staying. The prodigal son is not the only one getting the fatted calf slaughtered. There will be many cows slaughtered for Rory McIlroy and for Tiger Woods and for anybody else at that level John Ram so you could see the anger that John Ram had it was like well uh, excuse me what (laughs) excuse me they're all just gonna swan back in next year and play and we're there looking like chumps
0: so there's a reason that McElroy wasn't maybe as displeased or as angry as we've seen him in that recent press conference oh I thought I thought uh, yeah, was,
4: there was an undercurrent of course but by that stage it was like he, he was asked he, 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 I can't remember the exact phraseology but in in um, in, uh, in the mafia movies they talk, talk about being made whole mm-hmm. you know you've got you to make him whole you kill the wrong guy you've got to make him whole how much is it oh, it's 50 grand it's 100 grand it's 250 grand it's 100 million it's 250 million it doesn't matter the telephone numbers what did Phil get that's what I want yeah That what did Phil get I want what Phil got At least I want what Phil got Plus a dollar Yeah But there was a little bit of a murder About him as well Wasn't there Sticking
0: with the mafia theme He was kind of He was a little bit quiet Tender um,
4: Shook You might say In that uh, press conference I, I think that Like he, he He did the right thing And was proven to uh, You know Only the Only the stupid Do the right thing That's what that's The lesson is kids follow the money in sport anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's depressing. Um, it, it's going to be the dark shadow over the the Los Angeles Country Club in uh, in the US Open uh, from today but once the action starts I don't think anyone cares but there's still going to be that little divide over pe- people not wanting the live players to, to win these tournaments but that's going to dissipate within I'd say after this tournament. I
4: but think it's gone. I think yeah. it's gone. I think golf fans are like yeah the best golfers are going to play against each other. Mm. On the whole it's similar to the, my um, my WhatsApp groups at the
0: moment with the Qataris. Like I've I have a lot of United friends who are now leaning heavily towards Qatar, and I'm like it's it's turned from fifty fifty to let's give the Qataris. And I think it's probably when you're seeing players like Mbappe and Neymar as possible signings, people are like, oh yeah, let's bring them in, let's take the money. So yeah, it's depressing how how sport has headed that direction. and people just learn to live, Stockholm syndrome.
4: Just not great, is it? Um, I mean, there's part of me that really wants to see what would happen with the new banter era when the owners are in signing players. Ten Hag is gonna last six months, eight months if that happens. Well it- And they start going, you can have this player and this player and this player and this player and I want to see them play every game. And he's like, No. It's like, yeah, that's how it works here. Because it's my team. I get to pick the team. I wanna I want a phone on the bench so I can ring you in the middle of the game. It's like, no, yeah, yeah, no, 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 put Neymar on, why is Neymar, Neymar not playing? Well, the Saudis haven't done that at Newcastle. No, but uh, what, what's the experience of PSG? Yeah,
0: Shaikh Yassim is not, you know, he has been involved with the team before. All oh, the more reason, Tal Bowley hadn't been involved with the team before. True. like Not a, not a soccer team you see that's why Jim Ratcliffe is probably the safer option in, in that sense in terms of ownership he'll kind of sit back and let the team be, be the team
4: yeah the billionaires are notorious for like just letting everybody get get on with their business aren't they
0: yeah but like do you not trust a man you put your man in charge so if you trust Ten Hag you keep him in charge if he doesn't trust him after a year so get rid of him bring someone else in don't tell the manager what to do decide who the manager is yeah of course use your billions to, to pick the manager of a massive football club but uh, you, you can't you can't use your billions to be a tavoli, can you? I mean these lads are just playing playing billionaires' monopoly like
4: yeah, and I think the rest of the world would be pretty interesting seeing what would happen at uh, Manchester United if that was to become the case like if if the new managers or new owners come in and decide that they've got a world class manager and they're going to back him in the transfer window, then Manchester United are going to be contenders for the next couple of seasons, but if they come in and decide that they want superstar fancy players who will come to the the super yacht for the weekend then who knows
0: what's going to happen the only argument uh, in my head for it, for the Qataris taking over Old Trafford is gee, they're coming in, they're coming into the sport Saudis, Qataris, they're pumping their money it's kind of like, just let them dope every cyclist in the Tour de France let, let the 100 metres in the Olympics be entirely doped let them run in 7 seconds and let's see how fast the human, the human being can actually physically go it's going to get to that point in the Premier League where you're going to have seven, eight, nine clubs who are so unbelievably pumped full of money that it's just a, a battle between them to see... I mean, if you have United with loads of money, Liverpool with loads of money, Chelsea with loads of money, battling with Man City, it's going to be pretty interesting to watch. It's not going to be great for the, for the bottom half in the Premier League, which will actively change as teams get relegated and come back up because the divide is just going to go insanely big between, between the top seven or eight and the rest so yeah football in the next 10 years is going to change dramatically I think
4: alright what do you all think of uh, Shane's view of the mutant world that we may be heading towards uh, give us your thoughts this morning 087918180 that's the WhatsApp number you can get us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter or you can leave a comment on youtube.com forward slash OffTheBall OCB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now it's uh, two minutes past eight this morning you were listening there in the ad break to Shane chatting to former Formula 1 driver David Kennedy where he recalled a remarkable story about Ayrton Senna. The F1 pod on OTB is brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza. Real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town. Now, i am like to say Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very good, sir. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, we, there's a couple of big stories that we should uh, talk about. Um, finally, the entire country is united behind Ron Nogara and La Rochelle this weekend, because if La Rochelle beats Toulouse in the final, then... Uh, Munster fans will be happy because it's one of their own doing really well and Leinster fans are going to be happy as well because in the newly fixed or nearly fixed uh, European Champions Cup Leinster are back into top seeds as a result of uh, being beaten by La Rochelle Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the actual new pool system but we're getting back to something slightly better if it's not still quite fixed
5: no, no, I, I was, I, I will admit I kind of nearly lost the will to go on um, when I was trying to read it. Uh, competition should be very simple. Um, but th- none of this is simple. There's um, different teams can't be in different groups. Different teams don't play against different groups. Um, it's trying to find a mix that suits everybody, and it's a compromise that I think is a, just a little bit frustrating still. I mean, ever since they've tinkered with it, and it wasn't perfect before, and I know we often think it was, it was absolutely beneficial to the Irish teams the way it was before, um, um, partly because the Irish teams were always guaranteed to be in it, and. Um, um, uh, by playing in it every single year, you get used to it and you understand it a bit more. And um, it was different then in in almost a pure meritocracy for the other teams. But now there's so many teams that are in it. Um, It is chopping and changing consistently. Um, They haven't it right, I think. But I I think they need to get it right over the next couple of years just to try and have it where it's, it is seamless. No, and the reason I say that previously wasn't right, there were a few dead rubbers and there was a few French teams who didn't take the games seriously enough. Um, but in the last year, teams didn't take, uh, some of the matches seriously enough because they didn't have to. They only, they could have qualified by winning one match pretty much. So I think this looks a little bit better. Um, but it's a work in progress. Definitely a work in progress. There's going to be a seeding
4: system on the basis of different teams playing each other and results and it's kind of difficult to see exactly how that's going to end up working out whereas previously you had uh, two teams coming out of groups now the issue there was that if you got drawn with one of the italian sides it was a routine five points and that ended up skewing who got home advantage the italian teams aren't automatically qualifying anymore and it did like the main problem is that they've taken out a couple of rounds and rugby is the only sport where the European competition is getting fewer games than the domestic competition. It does feel as if they still kind of quite haven't worked out the whole economics of, if we play more big games, we'll get more people to come to them, and we should be generating more revenue off the back of that.
5: Well, look, when we start talking revenue, which I think we're going to discuss a few other parts, uh, for for the premiership and for um for the french championship they don't get paid as much money for european it isn't it isn't as valuable for them and uh for the elements of this that are a business there's a a large requirement for that to be the case um but i think i think it's all going to change within england anyway with the english premiership going to be down to 10 teams um should they automatically get the same number of teams into into the competition? That doesn't seem right either because it's supposed to be meritocracy, but it's the top eight. Um, so that's top eight out of 10 seems a little bit uh, top heavy. Um, look, I, I just think it's, I think this year, I think the World Cup will take over a huge amount of concentration um, and I think there'll be an awful lot of back channeling conversations to try and figure out where rugby can go at the present moment in time. And at times we seem, it's funny, I've looked at a couple of the, the notice boards and this uh, people seem to be saying, well, look, Ireland's in great shape and, um, almost glorying in the fact that other teams are going or it's not as good in England or elements of, of that. We need all the countries to be strong. We need all the teams to be strong for it to be a viable, sustainable. Um series of competitions, so um rugby has to have some level of a reset, and we discussed this at at, at lockdown um when we'd, we were trying to figure out what we were what we were supposed to talk about and that the idea was there for a reset, but what has happened since is it's become um more financially skewed, more financially strained um and i th- I think we're in a kind of strange period of time for the next couple of years, so look, I love the European competition. The Irish teams have embraced it more than anyone. Some of the French teams have some of the English teams have um, there is uh, there is a financial model there has to be through Europe and with europe it is um we know it from the crowds that turn up for those matches. We know it for the rivalries that have have gone gone over the history like we talked about Ro Nagar at the start. You know, he was Mister European Cup. He still is, and it, it was built on huge series of different rivalries with Munster and Gloucester, with Munster and Leinster. You know, with with Toulouse, with with Leinster, and everybody with Toulon. You know, there was huge, huge competition, huge rivalries that were built up that get thirty, forty, fifty thousand people through the gate, and that's what's required. It, like the money is obviously the
0: huge thing here Keith and, and certainly when you come to the Champions Cup structures that's one of the rationales behind it and TV viewers viewership obviously matters as well but Jeopardy is is what sport is all about and you look at this new structure and you're thinking well, if you win a couple of your games two of your games you get into the round of 16 basically mismatched opponents at that stage like I know the, the rugby purist loves the, the old Heineken Cup model um like th- th- you're even looking at them picking four groups of six teams like could they not have gone for six groups of four teams. Yes you could. Like well the winners go through then two best runners to, up. Then it's the two games, it's the two extra games they've taken out of Yeah that's, well, the-, that's the thing. But like, I mean is Jeopardy not the, the be all and end all, all here, Keith, above the money?
5: Um I think Jeopardy is I look I do think if you look at the um, if you look at the European Cup this year, all the home teams won except at the very end. Mm. You know, and um, so there is there often isn't that much jeopardy. It it just hasn't worked as well. Um, look, I think there's a bigger question to this than just the the, the European Cup. Um, we've said this, you know, when we were trying to figure out rugby. I think it was during the lockdown, Ger, We were having lots of conversations over sustainability, both in terms of travel um, and in terms of financial and the uh, uh sustainability in terms of player welfare and the length of the season and all those different component parts. Um If the season is 42 or 44 weeks long, it's too long. So there has to be a coordinated effort between the leagues. It has to be better than it is at the moment. There's still it's too many people kind of fighting their corner uh, that much. At times, it sounds like it's going to get better, and in, in some countries it's better, in some countries it's a shambles at the moment. And the viability of this is should you have squads of 55, 60 people so that you can play all these games, and then when you do have a squad of that size, are the players play, um, match-hardened enough to be able to play at the, at the end of the season? Um, is it financially viable in the first place? If you look at Wales, it's... The salary cap has gone so low. Um, uh, it's a very interesting decision. It's going. It's like going back to the early days of professionalism. The decision is, do you work or do you play rugby? You know, and, and it may be better off to work.
4: Yeah, so. yeah. Wales is is a, like a whole hour-long uh, program to get into it. But uh, Gatlin was talking during the week. I, d- I don't know if it's a stereotypical Warren Gatland like... If he's just lobbing grenades because that's what he does, but he was saying that he wouldn't have taken the gig if he'd known how bad things were. And um,
5: Kathy was pointing out pre-show, he's pretty well connected in Wales. He kind of knows, yeah. he knows the crack. That's a, that's a I, look. I thought it was an, a very interesting um, interview, and but it's as if he went into the job without uh, taking any view on what was going on there at all. And I think most people would do that, and he would be very well connected there. Um, he tried to explain why some of the players were leaving. Um, some of those made sense. I think there's an element of lobbing grenades. I think there's an element of taking pressure off the team, which he does consistently and taking pressure off himself. And, um, but yeah, it's, it was kind of an unusual element really. And I thought he was quite harsh on young Hawkins who had, um, we don't know the circumstances, but for a guy who's 20 years of age, he may not have been offered a big contract, and he may have been offered a big contract elsewhere. And if you were talking and working in a company that was debating going on strike in the middle of it and somebody offered you a very good contract elsewhere, I think you might go there. So, um um like, sport is very unusual. The emotional tug to sport is um, it, just singles it out as being something unique in um in life really and you can go for your dreams with it. It's been funny, I've been, you know, talking to a couple of young players recently and describing what rugby can be for them if they wanted it as a as a as a career. And it's pretty much an internship for the rest of their life because you could play rugby for ten or twelve years and retire at thirty years of age and then you have another thirty five years to work. So what has rugby given you in that period of time to be able to build it out for the next 35 years, you know, so you can start your, the rest of your life a little bit later than you normally would. That's just, that's a way of looking at it because it's so fraught at the present moment in time with injury, with financial concerns, with the potential of clubs, like any person who signs on with a club and suddenly to go out of business that's pretty that's a pretty horrendous uh, situation but we know it happens all the time in real world yeah
4: well let's talk about london irish then because that situation has just happened um we were speaking to one of the players recently and he was he was bringing up um uh i think it was Declan Danaher, whose his wife also was an employee of the club and they have a, a young family and you know these are the, the stories that you you don't think about when the headline stuff in the club and the debt and whether or not they're gonna be able to play next season, but then that collapses and all of a sudden there that's all that's left is the stories of the, the staff who are working there. Um we'd spoken before about whether or not it was the right thing to do for the IRFU to get involved. Um you know, notwithstanding their difficulties they had been in, in we're told from the, the telegraph, certainly it's, it's mostly the English um rugby journalists reporting on this that there had been some preliminary discussions around potentially saving the club as a, a championship club involving the IRFU. I thought it made sense always. like a, I know you'd have to make the money work, but I'm sure that there are very smart people who would be able to tap into the Irish diaspora in London, very high net worth individuals over there, who you could build as a bridge with Irish rugby. So I don't know, what's your, what's your feeling about this
5: whole thing now? Yeah, I, look, I still... Look, I think London Irish moved away from its Irish roots when it moved to Sunbury, and I think that kind of broke, or moved away from Sunbury out to Reading, and I think that kind of broke uh, some of that link. If you look at the team uh, at the moment, there are very few Irish involved in it. Um I think in stepping away from it, it makes it harder to do that. I also think within the or the RFU, um, having a team that is there ostensibly to develop Irish players, if the IRFU were to take a stake in it or take control of it, would be incredibly problematic. So part of the uh, the remit of the Premiership is to develop players to play for England. And I don't know that they'd want um, one of their main competitors uh, on their turf doing, doing something similar. And I think that could be short-sighted, short-sighted uh, or not. I think there's merit in there because I think we are generating a fairly huge number of players um, in Ireland with only four um, four professional teams. So, look, I, I do think there's merit in it. Of course I do. And I do think, um, like, one of the first games I, I played with with, uh, with Monster um, was uh, against the Exiles in London Irish, and it was a mixture of the two of those, and uh, playing with Gary Own over there with them back in the early 90s. So, it's it is, a, it is a long proud history, but I don't think you can just talk about London Irish. I don't think it ends at London Irish. Um, I think there's a lot of clubs under pressure. Um, there, the amount of money that the owners are putting in um, is averaging four million a year on top of everything the clubs are making. So that is not sustainable. It's stark
0: as well, Keith. When you when you look at the the Saudi involvement in golf and even at Newcastle and the money that um, Premier League football clubs are spending on players at the minute when you compare it to rugby it it, it, it nearly highlights it and, and it's a scary thought in some ways I don't know if it, if it speaks to where rugby is at at the moment and, and you see that this, the club's struggling of course in the English Premiership financially but at the, it's not in a good place
5: No and I don't I don't go for the comparisons I don't think they're I, I think they're big sports and I, I think at times we try and drive the idea that rugby is um, is as big. It isn't. It's a complicated game. Um, there's been a huge amount of tinkering with the laws over the last number of years. There's an, and even when we're talking about qualifications for a Heineken Cup or a European Cup or who gets out of what group or where or who plays who. Um, football is incredibly easy. The laws are pretty simple. Um, rules are, rules in, in soccer. The rules are simple the um it's easy to play no great players play make it look very easy and they can um great players can bring the game to an entirely different level but it's a simple game that everybody can go and play rugby isn't that and rugby still is niche it's it's very big within the areas that it is big if that makes sense so in the, within the established countries that play it Um, And it also is a very attractive commercial venture for sponsors. Um, But it's an incredibly attritional game. And so the idea of playing for the whole year means you need much bigger squads. Um, I mean, I think we're at a really strong inflection point. I mean, I'm not giving any solution here. I, I, I think we said recently that, you know, the game can't afford to pay the salaries it's paying um but I don't know whether players should play for less than those. You know, it's one of those absolute um impasse where um if you have someone who's on a couple of hundred grand a year and you say that's a good salary, that's that's great and they the next salary is fifty thousand, is it worth it then? That becomes the question. It was the question that was there at the start of professionalism. It actually has come back to that point again.
0: Another question, uh, Keith is: Have we missed a trick with John Klein, or is it is it all nice and relaxed? He's, he's obviously gone off to South Africa. Um, is it mind games from Razi Erasmus? Is he trying to get in our heads? Uh,
5: I think that would be probably overstepping it a little. Um, I, I know, Jerry, you asked me a question about John Klein about how he'd played a couple of weeks ago and whether he'd get into the Ireland squad. I didn't see him getting into the Ireland squad. Um, I, I said I don't know that he suited what it was that Ireland wanted to do um and I would said that his strengths are his pinning of the um of the scrum um his huge work rate which has has become huge I have to say he's, his the amount of his tackling his work in the mall um, his, you know, he's constantly um, he, he's in every ruck. He doesn't ball carry as much, and I think he's better without ball carrying much. And I think he fits into the South African system um, better than he fits into the Irish system. So I wasn't certain he'd get into the squad. I was very surprised to see him go into the South African squad, and and that change in law was do, done and designed entirely for Tier Two teams. It was. Actually, the, the case in point was Issa Nasewa, um, who played 15 minutes for New Zealand and then never got to, to play for Fiji afterwards. It was He was a case in point. And with so many teams um, um, picking players from different countries over the years and, um, and then when their time was up, which could be up pretty soon, the rest of their career mightn't be there. That was the rationale behind it, and I think that was a fairly decent rationale to try and bring up the standard of tier two. I still think you should, you know, you have to, you should make one decision and play for one country. I don't think you should be chopping and changing countries, but um, but it wasn't done for tier one to tier one. So for me, I was very surprised with that, and I don't think it was done for that reason. But um, for John Klein, it's an unbelievable opportunity. He never thought he was going to play for the country of his birth and he now gets an opportunity to get into a World Cup squad. Uh, Richie put a clip of Razi talking about it on
4: Rugby Daily yesterday and he was basically making the point that in all the tournaments they've played and in the big test series that they've played they've run out of locks and he talked about Lou Diego getting injured in a World Cup final and he talked about somebody else I think uh, they still don't know that's about whether or not he's going to be back and just made the point that the way they play is very attritional and they need loads of locks and he's a massive guy and they'd worked with him at Munster and they really like the cut of his jib so I, I thought that he wouldn't make the South Africa World Cup squad but he probably will get some game time in the rugby championship or whatever that tournament is called these days yeah. and um you know, I I do think fair play to him for taking advantage of the rule change when it was clear that he wasn't going to play for Ireland. And Razzie said, in fairness to them, that they voted against the rule change, but that once the rule change was made, how can we benefit from this, was his
5: words. And that's the that's the ruthlessness of big-time professional sport, right? Absolutely. Um, there's no point, um, I, I, and, we, and we definitely have talked on this before, there's no point bemoaning um, the fact that there is a law that's in there, and if other teams follow by it, and you fall by the wayside, that's you, you, you can't allow that to happen. So it's an opportunity for for South Africa. I mean, look, I'm a little bit, I'm uncomfortable that we've um, Ben Healy. I've, the, the fear I have is he could end up kicking a 65-meter kick to uh, win a match against Ireland, which would frighten the life out of me, or. Um, John Klein could come in and and uh, and and be a changing force. You know, it's there. Those sorts of things. Do you mitigate against those or not? Well, we haven't in, in on either of those instances. But it's um, look, there are decisions that are made, and you live you live by them. But um, look, you have to the laws that are put in there are put in there for a reason, and they coaches coaches their ability to to exploit nuance in in law is what makes them good coaches yeah uh, one, whatever they're their disposal I mean that's that is a harsh reality of professional sport one last thing I just wanted to
4: ask you about was the uh, passing of Paul Randall um yeah uh, the uh, judge tell us about him because a lot of our uh, listeners and viewers this morning won't know too much about his playing career
5: no he played he played uh, 80s in the very start of the 90s I, I look I never played against him um uh, I met him on loads of occasions. He was, so one of the things I'd always mark out as a touch of quality. Um, Jason Leonard took over from, um, uh, from the judge and, uh, took his place, but the two of them became unbelievable friends. You know, there were, so I always met, uh, I met Paul with Jason, um, often. And, uh, that front row of, of Proben Moore and, uh, and Randall were, um, they they ended up with a front row union club they used to uh dinners and lunches in um uh in, in everywhere around the u k and the three of them stayed together forever so they were always great at regaling stories and everything but he was a he was a cracking player um at a time when there weren't a huge number of matches every year um um, I, I can't remember how many how many caps he got, but it would have been about three or four times that if he was been playing. If he was playing now, twenty eight, twenty eight uh, caps, twenty eight. Yeah, so that's it's through the eighties with only sort of four or five games, uh, you know, a year. And um, now it's up at ten or twelve a year. So, um, but he was look, he was a good guy, really good guy. Actually, great, great fun, great guy to have a pint with. Um, and he succumbed to motor neuron disease. So that's another. Um, another uh, another one fallen, which uh, which is very tough. Um, he got diagnosed, I think, very late on uh, in last year, and his passing was very quick, but he'll be sadly missed. Okay, we'll leave it there. Keith, good stuff. Great to have you back. Thanks a
4: million. Cheers, Chance. Uh, Keith, we're giving some thoughts on the big stories in rugby at the moment. It's 25 minutes past eight this morning. A reminder OTVAM, live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shape or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Uh, big weekend in rugby With super rugby semis In the top 14 final Fingers crossed for Rog And John Ryan Says Adrian Long uh, We have uh, Rog on tomorrow show Tomorrow show yeah, yeah. Uh, Pity Robbie Keane Isn't on the coaching staff For these young strikers Especially to help Ferguson Manage the expectation Etc Very similar with Robbie At that age Says quirky 1980 um, I actually think It's even better To have
0: John O'Shea Helping to coach a striker Because I, I, you'd almost Find it more interesting As a striker To hear from a defender what do you find difficult to play against what, what's tough to come up against what do you not like what do you love playing against as, as a striker so I think John O'Shea will bring some insight that that maybe you
4: didn't expect yeah I'd say as well if you're a good coach like it's about the game as opposed to I was in this situation once and I did this thing because mm. like same river's never the same I mean, you know uh, when you're through one on one but like every one on one situation is mm. here's how I Meg Figo you know what, what, part, <laughs> what, what part of the game the pitch are you on like is somebody making a run to take the eye of the goalkeeper away? All that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I think if you're a good coach, you can help people in circumstances and situations. And obviously, like he has a really strong support network around him as well. So uh, Leeds will be playing Rotherham on a random Tuesday night when Celtic will be in the Champions League. It's a tough call, all right, says Ian Takana. Were you making the case that Leeds were a big club? Um, was, that, was that your story? That was your side of the argument? Well no, no I,
0: I was staying very neutral. It was in versus Cameron, Selig versus oh, Leeds. Okay, okay. So I was kind of just the mediator in, in between.
4: Uh, that, there was that story about the golfers trying to get involved with uh, Leeds as well, but I, mean, I presume they're going to be involved the way LeBron James is involved with Liverpool because mm. the San Francisco 49ers just bought Leeds and they're not going to start giving it away to the golfers for nothing. The same way they're all getting involved
0: in pickleball. See this, the paddleball, whatever you call it. They're all just buying clubs, left, right, and centre. It's the next next generation sport, yeah.
4: Didn't um, didn't uh, Tom Brady buy a tour? Is that what he did? In pickleball, yeah,
0: something like that, yeah. And what's
4: the difference between pickleball and paddleball?
0: I think paddleball is just the American way of saying yeah. it. Is it possibly? Uh, I could be wrong. Pickleball is pickleball is what you call it over here. I think. I could be wrong there. No, it's it not. It has a
4: crucial advantage over paddle, its capacity to expand as a sport. Paddle courts need to be purpose-built. Yeah, and there aren't many paddle courts in Ireland. I Je- Jenny Claffey was on with us sure
0: last week talking about her heading off to the European Games in, in paddle ball, I want to say.
4: Yeah, definitely paddle.
0: Paddle, yeah. So, I mean, they both look interesting. It's because you can whack the ball and it just goes over the net, so it's like you don't have to run as much. Probably good for people
4: of a certain generation, Jerry. That what you said to Jenny Claffey when she's not here?
0: No, certainly not. It, it, it's actually a tough. It's a, like I'd imagine the rallies are are long and, and arduous as well, which 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 adds to the fitness element of it. And Jenny gets to potentially be an Olympian now. On top of all, all
4: else, she's a I, Yeah, I, I see the Olympic, um, the Olympic rings all over the place. So it it obviously is an Olympic sport. Yeah, I think for the next for the next Olympics,
0: it's going to be twenty twenty eight, as opposed to twenty twenty four. As far as I'm aware. So it's going to become huge I think Um, So I'm ready to go I might get involved Bring Colin down and see Not too
4: late for you Shane Yeah true I could make the Olympics yes you know, Just pick up sport Yeah, An easy one Walking It would be a good walk Yeah 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 100% 29 minutes past 8 this morning Let's go to Greece Sweaty Greece Paul O'Hare good morning to you How are you?
6: (laughs) How's it going Sweaty Greece Oh my god How are you? Yeah I'm good thanks
4: Well you know we're Irish We're obsessed with weather What's the weather like?
6: Well that's the thing, like it's 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 been the big kind of talking point, hasn't it? Like between Turkish training camp and, and coming over here. Yes, it is hot, but I do think um I do think the kind of reports of the, the oven like conditions that the game is going to be played in tomorrow night I think are gonna be a bit wide of the mark. It's it's um you know, the temperatures are probably in and around thirty degrees during the day here in Athens. Um but last certainly last night, um it was probably in and around maybe the 20 degree mark, 21 degrees and wasn't particularly humid. There was a fair breeze blowing through the city. So I don't think it's going to be like the the kickoff time over here tomorrow night is going to be 9.45 PM. We're two hours ahead. Um, So by 9.45 last night, you know, it absolutely wasn't remotely kind of overbearing or now that's kind of sitting outside having a bite to eat. It's not running around the pitch. Um, So look, it will be it'll be testing but i don't think it'll be overly taxing but maybe famous last words
4: yeah i think there was a possibility for 40 degrees when the draw was made that like you know the european weather is completely unpredictable as we know and there's going to be long portions of summers now which are completely uh unsafe to go out in and that hasn't been the case so this all looks like it's it's been well managed so far up to this point the the uh, pre-match conditioning has Largely taking care of any negativity that there might have been around us playing a warm weather match in June.
6: Yeah, I think so, and I think I think Stephen Kenny, he kind of he didn't come out and say it as such, but kind of alluded to it during the week uh, when we were in Turkey last week at the training camp. So if you think back to last June, um, Ireland played four Nations League games, and the first of them was over in Yerevan in Armenia, and now that was properly like that was seriously hot. Um, and the game was also an earlier kickoff. Um, it and was, it, was, it was really, really stifling, and Ireland lost that game. And, you know, they kind of picked up a little bit during that summer window and they got the win over Scotland and the draw away to Ukraine and Poland. And um, so they, they finished the window with a bit of, of flourish, but you, you can just sense that that Armenia game still kind of haunts Stephen Kenny a little bit. Um, and perhaps he learned, I think he learned lessons in terms of the preparation and in terms of the weather. Um, so they went up to Turkey for the guts of 8-9 days and it was like it was warm in Turkey now it felt warmer even at night it felt warmer in Turkey than it has done here in Athens but you know just pros and cons to being away for 8-9 days um, the fact that the championship season obviously finished so early in May and a lot of the players just haven't had a game in the guts of 5 or 6 weeks it was good to get everybody back in training together on the flip side of that you're kind of I was going to say you're cooped up in a hotel, but not, they weren't exactly cooped up in a hotel. The team hotel was pretty plush and nice and there was plenty, plenty to do. There was no swimming pools. There was, you know, the, the players could go off playing golf and they were doing water polo. They, they did all sorts of different things to keep themselves occupied. Um, but that's the kind of the catch 22 of organizing those training camps that does boredom set in. But certainly from the interviews that we were doing over there, the, the vibe around the team certainly seemed to suggest that it was a well a well worth, uh, a, a very useful exercise, you know, yeah. in terms of getting away from those eight, nine days. So there's no... I think the lessons were learned from January last year, I know, or from June last year.
4: I know that uh, people watching and listening will be like, well, of course, they're going to tell you everything is grand. But actually, when you're in a place with a large group, you can tell from looking at them, is this group happy in each other's company, or is there tension? Are they bored? Like, I think of the the uh, Euros and the amount of time that they on um, under trap where everybody, they, they just, just, they looked a little bit bored. There was rumours of stuff happening of like, you know, it, stuff seeps out. So the stuff seeping out, it seems like, is most people seem to be happy enough in each other's company.
6: Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I remember back in 2012, um, Euro 2012 in Poland and Ukraine, Ireland went to Italy for a 10-day training camp in Montecatini. Um, uh, a, sort of a place that Tony had brought his, I think his former Juventus team too and and um, it was just kind of it was almost like a semi-retirement home it was that sleepy it was such a sleepy old village and the players players we were there for the go to 10 or 11 days and you'd often bump into players out sort of walking around the town in the evening and you know they were bored out of their minds, basically, um, and there was a lot. I think Trap really, really overdid the training sessions in Montecatini. There would have been a lot of double sessions, um, a lot of a lot of sort of serious uh, serious training in, in very very hot temperatures. Whereas the interesting thing from Stephen Kenny's point of view in Turkey last week was that while um, it was important to get the squad together, having uh, you know the vast majority of them haven't played football in five or six weeks, as I was saying, and um, he didn't do double training sessions, which I thought was interesting. Not 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 suggesting he should have, but he they were they trained early in the mornings. They were usually at the training ground by about nine o'clock. Uh, training ground was only about a three or four minute bus ride from their from their hotel, and they were well out of the town, the, the sort of the resort area. So they they were kind of locked away in their own sort of isolated area and the training ground was the same training ground that Martin O'Neill used uh, in 2018 when we were here when we were in Antalya as well the, the, the game that Declan Rice made his Ireland debut in and was uh, crying in the mix zone um, afterwards because he was so emotional about it all um, but yeah Kenny was just Kenny was there there were single training sessions each day in Turkey so they, they were they were sharp they were intensive according to the players and to the coaches that we bumped into around the team hotel and in some of the media interviews we did but they weren't overworked is is certainly the sense that we would have got and um, they had been looking to play they had been looking to play a sort of a, a game um, in Turkey and um, but that didn't materialize they were looking for teams in the region didn't materialize so they played an 11 v 11 70 minute match against each other um, on Saturday just before the Champions League final they tried to play the game as late as possible in the evening to kind of replicate the kick-off time in, in Athens but uh, they, they were they were only playing 70 minutes so they could get back and watch the watch the Champions League final. In
0: terms of the decision making Stephen Kenny has to make, Paul, with uh, team selection, like uh, how important is is picking players that have played football relatively recently, I guess, from an attacking sense? We were chatting to Vinnie Perth in studio yesterday and in terms of who's off or behind Evan Ferguson, you have options there in terms of Obafemi or, or Will Smallbone, Mikey Johnston is an option as well. Do you know what way Stephen Kenny might be leaning in that sense, in an attacking sense?
6: We don't really as such, um, like the Kenny's formations are fairly fluid and, you know, 3-4-3, you, 3-5-2, you, you, three, 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 um, and a lot of Kenny's selection, uh, issues are kind of formation dependent as well, and particularly in those tacking areas. Um, but look, he, he does have a lot of, he does have a lot of decisions to make, Um I think it's absolutely nailed on that Evan Ferguson starts. He has to start and he will, Um it's just a matter of who, who kind of plays off him. You would have uh, Michael Obafemi uh, certainly in the mix. You'd have Adam Ida, who Kenny, Kenny's always been a big, big fan of. And, and, you know, don't forget, Ida, Adam Ida didn't play a single game for Ireland in 2022 because of his injury problems. Um, and Kenny, Kenny has just been such a big fan of, of Ida. And, you know, he's got such a prolific scoring rate for Irish underage teams. Um, so Kenny's a big fan of his. You've got Troy Parrott in the mix as well. Um, I wouldn't be necessarily too swayed by the fact that Troy Parrish was put up for interviews during the week. It's not always an indication of um, of Kenny's thinking in terms of team selection. Um, Michael Obafemi was actually down to do media stuff with us at the training ground in Turkey the other day, along with Calum dauda But um, in the in the couple of minutes from the end of the training session to... When he was walking over to us at the side of the pitch, we were sort of higher up in the stands, um, up near the press working area. He was being brought up there, but, uh, whatever happened, um, between himself and conversations with either the management team or the FBI communications team, Michael Abafemi pulled out of those interviews. And uh, we weren't really given any reason as to why. And Troy Parrish was sort of added in as a last minute sub. Um, Troy obviously you know, Troy didn't Troy didn't make the match day squad in the end for the France game. He was in the initial squad but he wasn't in the match day squad, although he did admit to us the other day that he probably wasn't as his fittest for that, so that may be a reasoning. But um I think yeah, Evan Ferguson starts and then it's it's one or other, I would say, of of Michael Obafemi and Adam Ida
4: He loves he loves Eda and we haven't really spoken about what the formation would look like with Ida there. Um can they can they both change are they because I think I'm trying to get to the point where they both seem like stereotypical number nines in many respects but actually they both have enough in their skill set to be able to do other things as well how would they combine how would Eden Ferguson combine
6: well that's the thing like you know Kenny was talking to us today about how you know trying to make um, Evan Ferguson fit into Ireland's system is, is, you know, he, he just sort of, we were asking him about it and he just turns around and goes, but that's my job to work out what the best uh, way of getting the best out of Evan Ferguson is because he's making the point that at Brighton, the way Brighton play, while Ferguson's notionally a centre forward, he will drop so deep that he could end up, he could end up on the halfway line because Brighton's two wingers play so high that they will draw the centre backs either side. And you know the, the centre backs are occupied by the two high wingers, and then that creates the space for for those wingers to play the ball into Ferguson, who'll make a who'll make a dash forward uh, into space, and that's where he's been sort of utilised for Brighton. Whether Ireland, you know, try and sort of mimic that a little bit more, I don't know. You would have seen in the France game, Ferguson kind of leading the line, and he was kind of dropping deep a lot, um, but that was probably to do with the nature of the opponents as well. I, I would personally like to see a little bit more of Ireland's rather than Ferguson dropping deep tomorrow to receive the, to receive the ball. I'd love to see Ireland's with maybe Ferguson on the front foot and maybe sort of playing a little bit higher up the pitch. Um, And Ida like, yeah, it's like Ida has been, you know, Kenny, Kenny had tried him in a a couple of different positions, you know, prior to his injury um, in terms of maybe a sort of wider on the left, but you know, he, he is, you're right in what you're saying in terms of they are a little bit similar in terms of out and out number nines, and maybe that's where Michael Obafemi comes into play because of of his play, pace that he he can play in behind Ferguson if Ferguson is going to drop a little bit deeper uh, to receive ball and maybe link a little bit, bit of play. But Obafemi's pace, like he's he's just absolutely lightning, you know. As is Mikey Johnson, who's who's down yeah. as one of the five forwards. Yeah. in in this squad, you know. Well, hes he, like he is, he, he is essentially a winger, but he's down. He's down as a forward, as such.
4: So he he thinks of himself in uh, any one of a number of different um, positions, judging from his own comments oh. and, and how happy he will be to play in those. And actually, the way you're describing Brighton there, you could see Kenny thinking Mikey Johnson might be one of those players who plays and occupies the uh, the centre backs in that kind of in between space. So plenty for him to get his teeth into and stuck into. One other one that we just were unsure of: how fit is Darrow Shea
6: yeah, well, that's like, you know, when Daryl Shea got that injury a while, a few months ago, the, you know, West Brom were pretty much ruling him out for the season. Um, now, he obviously did come back a little bit earlier than expected. That, that's, a, that's a selection call to make for Kenny as well. Um, if You you know, he, he does play three centre-backs, so you're you're certainly looking at Nathan Collins on the right side. Um, you're looking at Johnny Egan in the middle. And then Daryl Shea, like... Stephen Kenny is a huge fan of O'Shea, O'Shea's and O'Shea, you know, O'Shea has proved to be sort of versatile in, in being able to play in any of those positions across the back. Um, but that is the big selection call. There's no Andrew Bamadelli here. There's no Shane Duffy here. Um, so Daryl Lennon of Middlesbrough would be um, possibly the next in line. He has been playing up until quite recently because Middlesbrough are in the playoffs. They got to the playoff semi-final, um, And he's, 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 he's been playing every single week for, for Middlesbrough and has had a strong season. So I think that's the other big selection call, in my view, would be um, whether Kenny goes and trusts O'Shea despite the injury issues that he had um, and the fact that he doesn't have the same amount of games in his legs that Daryl Lenihan has so that yeah that, that's that's suddenly sort of a, a position that's come into sharper focus for Kenny.
0: I know we, we, we generally spend uh, a lot of time in Irish media talking about uh, the starting team that Kenny opt, opts with but I guess when, when you're playing in heat and I know you're saying you know the heat mightn't be as big a factor as we thought but the team you finish with is often the, the more important thing Paul as well and the bench is going to be so key I, I guess one aspect of that is that the, the Presumably, a straight choice between O'Dowd and James McLean, uh, wide left, uh, and whoever doesn't get picked. And presumably, O'Dowd is the number one choice, but McLean is going to be very, very
6: important as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Callum O'Dowd is nailed on for that position. Um, Kenny Kenny bigs him up an awful lot every time he talks to us. You know, he he really really likes Odada, and I, we we spoke to O'Dowd at the training ground the other day for interviews, and he was making the point that he's. Um, he, you know, he really wants to make that position his own and he, he feels that he's a sort of a natural fit in terms of his athletic ability. Um, but he did acknowledge that he's had to work on his sort of defensive side of his game because, you know, when he broke into the Ireland squad first under, was it Martin O'Neill, I think? Um, he certainly would have played in a more advanced position. Um, but Kenny definitely really, really rates him um, as a wing back you know, probably more from an attacking sense maybe than defensively. James McLean will—I'm certain, I'm pretty sure—he'll have some sort of role to play because he's obviously on 98 caps. And if he if he's to even play 30 seconds on uh, on Friday night, he'll be in line to win his hundredth cap against Gibraltar on Monday night. And um, I'd be—it's yeah, a funny one in a way because you'd be surprised if that wasn't in everyone's thinking. And you know, give give James McLean a big night and, on Monday night, but then if the game tomorrow night isn't going well for Ireland in any shape or form, Kenny's not, he's not one for just dishing out caps. Um, And he said that before, whether it's newcomers who come along or uncapped players who might've been in a few squads and never got on or goalkeepers, third choice goalkeepers being thrown on in friendlies. He's not one for really doing that too often. So I think things would want to be going reasonably well for Ireland Um, or you know, if it's if it's a tide, if it if if it's if the game is level with sort of twenty minutes to go, and McLean is exactly that throw the kitchen sink kind of player that you see so often at Aviva Stadium when he comes on with twenty minutes to go, and Ireland are shooting into the south stand, and you know everyone's on the edge of their seats, and the place is the place is deafening. So I'd expect McLean to feature at some point.
4: All right, Paul, we we'll leave it there. Good stuff. Uh, enjoy the next forty-eight hours or so. Th- thanks a million for joining us. Cheers lads, thank you It's uh, Paul Hare there, Chief Football Writer with the Irish Daily Mirror giving us his thoughts from Athens this morning That's good news about the weather not being uh, so hot We don't like it hot Colin good morning to you, 8.45, hey, let's, how let's are go? you? Are you well? Not so bad, Dublin's Ligo, like, oh, nervous Ah, look it, I mean, it's uh, good to be there
2: <laughs> um, No, look at. I mean, it's... it's uh, Look, at it. it's going to be a case of trying to be as competitive as possible for as long as possible. But I think that's what the teams like Sligo and, and you know the likes of westmead that are in the All Ireland series—need exposure to the top teams as much as possible. I think to progress, so would be hopeful of a reasonably good performance because they've played well. They, they pushed Roscommon, uh, got a goal in the second half to get back to within two. Drew with Kildare. Uh, I think it's been a very progressive year, so hopefully they can round it out with a reasonable performance and they still have a chance of going through as well, depending on how the other game goes. I actually like going to games at Kingspan Raphne Park. I think it's a good atmosphere. My thoughts are with the Kings for Park
0: uh grounds keeping staff this weekend you have Cavan down 515 on Saturday evening then you have the the Dublin Sligo match at 1:45 on Sunday that's a double header because after the 4 o'clock is Tyrone West Meath okay so like Rhys right. Breffny's going to get serious use this weekend yeah it's three big
2: games within what Less than twenty-four hours. Yeah, and the pitches are so rock hard now. Yeah, so it's going to be difficult. But um, yeah, lovely ground, uh, good atmosphere, as you say, and um, good that actually that it is a double header. That'll boost the atmosphere. You would mm-hmm. hope for both matches, um, because I know there was some talk last weekend after the Leinster hurling final about whether Crow Park is the right place to play fixtures like that with twenty-four thousand in a in a big big stadium. And you know, even though there was a the big moment at the end, I did feel it kind of felt a little bit muted because it was twenty-four thousand mm-hmm. in a, an eighty thousand capacity stadium. So there is probably a bit of thinking to do about venues uh, going forward But then you have the case of go in Armagh playing in Carrick and Shannon I think both counties requested that that game be moved from there Because of the demand for tickets And it's, it's still in Carrick and Shannon That doubleheader is interesting In that you're
0: going to have the Throne and Dublin fans together Together but not playing against each other So a little bit of harmony maybe Chance to break some peace yeah, ah, there's, in our time. Piece, there's
4: peace between fans, right? Ah, surely maybe yeah. our match round there isn't but No, not quite that's a double header that's worth worth watching. The week the weekend weather is going to be cat, basically. Really, apart from the sunny southeast, I think everywhere else and even then Saturday and then Sunday it's like yeah, it's so hot and rainy and muggy. Ugh. perfect upset weather. If there was going to be an upset somewhere, Kildare is coming maybe.
1: Oh.
2: Don't, I, I don't know. Uh, well, Kildare have been threatening a performance, haven't
4: they? So far this season, have they? they Breakthrough, have they? Well, they pushed Dublin close. Twice in the in the league as well. Yeah. But then Dublin in the league were awful, it turned out. Well, either way,
0: Davy Burke won't be in his local in Minutha, I'd say, after the match this weekend. Maybe he will, you know. Maybe he will.
2: Toasting. Toasting. Yeah, a Ross think, Like you know, it's a big weekend. I think, you know, we're going to see the teams now really focusing in on trying to produce performances now because you're getting to the business end. And I'm really interested to see where Kerry and Dublin are at because I think Galway and Mayo are both ahead of them in the pecking order as things stand. I think Galway are the team to beat. Mm. Uh, you know, they will be the team that that I think look best placed at the moment. Um Kerry, you know, don't seem to be at the level that they were at last year. Dublin still have a lot of questions to answer, but then again, when you get to Crow Park and you get to the quarter final
4: stage, yeah. You just wonder will these teams cut loose well, at that point? I think we as it stands, we're more likely to see Kerry next week in the preliminary quarterfinal, the sexually titled preliminary quarterfinal weekend. Mm.
0: What was your name for it again? Wildcard weekend. weekend, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but Kerry, Kerry could also finish third. Wild, yes. all over the country. Wild. <laughs> you see, if Kerry finish third, that's that's it. they're going to have a tantalising preliminary quarter final, regardless, away from home. Well, they'll finish second, right? We we are we, almost certain they're going to finish second, right? I I've been banging the loud drum for quite some time. I think there's a big result. There's a big result coming. I I said they'd be closer to Mayo than people realise. There's only point in it. Um, but th- and the fact that that game's in Port leash as well. Kerry Loud is going to have it be a big
4: barometer as to where Kerry are at. Like. I don't think it is. I think they're going to win this game by four points, and then next week they'll win that game by four points, and then it's all on quarter quarterfinal weekend the weekend after. And that's like, I think, this is, I think we're entering into a period where we're going to see the best teams playing each other in games that matter, and all the whining of oh, there's too many games, too many games, is going to disappear. Has mm. this not been amazing for Sligo? I would say it
2: has been very, very progressive. Yeah, like, I mean, I think for teams like Sligo, it's the, the new format actually gives a real opportunity to say, yeah, we can be a top 16 team. And I think there are other teams, you know, the likes of Cavan, uh, Westmeath, that are in it this year. Like, Wexford have shown a lot of progress in the Talchin Cup. I think they'll take momentum from that. Into Carlo next year. as well. Yeah, there's Carlo as well. Yeah, so, like, it's been very progressive. And I think you know Carlo have played i think 5 championship matches now so far this season so they've obviously made a lot of progress uh, under Nile Carew and and done really really well so i think the new format has been quite progressive i think it can be tweaked in terms of maybe eliminating the need for the preliminary quarterfinals in both competitions uh, just to make the the group stages that a
4: little bit more competitive and have a bit more riding in all the group matches you could have a wildcard weekend where not uh, it's not four matches but actually two matches and then it's hell for leather and you you, need, you know you need to come up with a, a fair system for analysing which team's scoring average is better or, you know, Mm. that needs to be weighted somehow. But, like, and also we just need to get rid of the provincial championships having any impact on this part of the competition, right? Mm. Although then Sligo wouldn't have made it.
2: Yeah, like, there are tweaks that could be made. I think there will be tweaks. Um, But I think, by and large, I think it's been relatively successful. And I think the counties have been quite happy to get more game time. And you mentioned the likes of the the Sligos of this world, the counties that are trying to develop and gain exposure to the top teams I think it's been very useful uh, for them so I would anticipate maybe small tweaks but not not nothing too major
4: yeah two other quick points that everybody's been complaining all the attendances are a bit low it's like well make the tickets cheaper and do some marketing like It's the job of the county boards to market their own teams and to sell to their fans that this is actually important. You're getting to see our best players play games. Our management team are taking this game seriously. You need to take it seriously too. And, like, uh, come and there might be some entertainment that might be useful as opposed to, like, an old tape recorder which is like... So, you know, come on, county boards, let's be having you. Mm. Yeah. Inevitably, though, you're going to have smaller
2: crowds. If you have more matches, you're going to have smaller crowds. I mean, people cannot travel every weekend, particularly with the cost of everything now.
4: Yeah. And Cheaper tickets would help. Big distances involved. Yeah. Cheaper tickets would definitely help. May well help. Like, uh, as opposed to, oh, we always charge this for a championship matches, like, yeah, because you used to have one and you were price gouging uh, all the years when you only had one. And Now you have three, you don't need to price gouging anymore. Mm. Fair points, yeah, fair points. I think it's group two that I'm going to be keeping an eye on Galway Armagh
0: and Throne West Meath like, Galway top on four points, Tyrone and Armagh level on two, but also level on points difference, a minus one as well, so whoever comes comes out on top, I'd expect Galway to beat Armagh, but I mean, between Tyrone and Armagh again then, to finish the I guess, I only need a result then against Westmeath to get the second second place position, but that group is, uh, is possibly the most delicately poised
4: mm. it the most interesting I think mm. certainly the most competitive anything else going on Carl?
2: Well, oh, we have the US Open golf starting later on today five Irish players in the field I know you'll be previewing that with Joe later on uh, in the Nations League last night Croatia beat the Netherlands 4-2 after extra time to qualify for the final they'll play either Spain or Italy in the final those two meet tonight from 7.45 fixtures for the new Premier League season out in seven minutes time uh, the uh, newly promoted side Luton set to find out who they'll play in their first ever Premier League match and uh, Jude Bellingham set to be unveiled as a Real Madrid player later on today and racing at Leopardstown this evening first off there at a quarter to five alright good
4: stuff Carl. thanks man, for awesome. that 8.53 uh, OTB AM live with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back neon edition is available now I'm delighted to say Shawnee Johnson is with us Shawnee good morning to you how are you good morning man how are you um, we were saying and making the point that um, Cavan down in the Talton Cup is as big a game as there can be in the Talton Cup really because I think everybody expected one of these two teams to win it and they haven't managed to avoid each other. Uh, might be um, they might both be regretting that. But this is about as good as it gets for the Talton Cup.
1: Yeah, um, it is. And I suppose from a Cavan perspective, if you're going to get down, you're better getting them now in a in a, in a home quarter final. So um, bringing them to breathley Park is, should be obviously be an advantage to Cavan. They've beaten them there already this year. Um, but like, you'd expect this if if the Talton Cup was you know really really well uh followed you'd expect this to be a big crowd but i think there was a very small crowd in in Uri and Park Esther for down and and Longford so i don't know how much of a a crowd down are going to bring to it but you know as far as the Talton Cup goes this is as good as it's going to get They're, you're expecting one of the winners to come from this Mead will obviously uh, have a say i know they've pipped down there a week or two ago but i think the winners will come from this from this quarter final
4: tell me is this has this been accepted as the be all and end all for Cavan inter-county football this year is has it captured the imagination of football followers in Cavan?
1: No, I don't think it has. Um, I think there was a real, a real hope. I know from from speaking on the show before, that Cavan would would beat Armagh in the first round of the championship in Breffni. I think Cavan followers thought that you know they're after winning Division Three. They had a reasonably well a very good second half performance against Fermanagh in the league final that they would give Armagh a real game. Um, and, you know, uh, hope to get through that game. And then you're looking at playing a downer, Donegal, and Donegal weren't going great at the time. And, you know, Down ended up turning them over. So you'd be looking at down in the semi-final and a potential route to, a, to an Ulster final to get you in to compete for the Sam Maguire. So, um, but for the Cavan, you know, the Cavan set up, this game is now huge because, you know, the, the big carrot of the Tadlin' Cup is that Cavan don't need to worry about about league status, obviously you're you they'll look to to go and have a really good division two next year and potentially get up to division one which is where they want to be. But this the carrot is like Westmead to get to get straight into the Sam Maguire next year and be playing against the big guns all the time.
0: The uh, the down um set up is interesting as well, Shawnee and we were speaking during the week yes. like Connor Laverty and, and his assistant Mickey Donnelly was speaking about it. Uh the fringe players in the down panel, essentially if you're not in the say first eighteen, nineteen sort of players, they're being released back to their clubs. In the last couple of weeks, even to play, you know, 30, 40 minutes of a game. Uh, what do you make of this? It's, it's, it seems like common sense, I suppose.
1: I love it, to be honest. Uh, you know, you look at yourself, you put yourself in that player's perspective if you're 19 or 20, or even if you're 22, 23, and you're, you know, like the player, I always say, the player always knows. You, you know, you can have a... You can have an idea in your head or a really, really positive attitude. Oh, I might get game time. I might get game time. But at the end of the day, you know, most players are fairly realistic. They know where they're where they're at in the grand scheme of things. To know if they're likely to get five minutes or forty minutes or or no minutes. And I just think it's such a, a a good and novel idea by the down management because if you want an impact off the bench, you're far more likely to get it than f- from someone that's coming in. More than likely with a little bit of confidence after playing decently with their club. Obviously, the standard of club football, the county football, is is a, a good bit different. It's it, it certainly reduced. So you're coming in off probably having a decent performance. You're back playing with the people that you've, you've grown up with. You're coming in in, in better better attitude, better, uh, you know, just happier, really, because, you know, the, the county setup, if you're not playing, can be really demanding on players physically and mentally. Obviously, physically it's difficult with the amount of training and so on. But even mentally, you know, you put yourself in an environment—a really high-performance environment. You want to get the best out of yourself. You want to be getting game time, and if you're not getting it, it can be—it can become really, really tough. So just being released back to the club to play X amount of minutes—it's—it's it's twofold. It's getting you that confidence. It's also getting you more game time. That means that if you're going to be asked to come in uh, to a real pressurized environment, you're you're more likely to be more ready
0: presumably as a player you would have liked this whole setup you know games week to week as opposed to training sessions that seems to be the general consensus that players like matches
1: absolutely. <laughs> absolutely you know it just the the fear on the monday or the tuesday night when you when you have a three week break is just you wake up at whatever time 7 in the morning until until you arrive to the Breffni Park, or wherever you're just going off. Oh, what could this entail? This could be anything. If we have a three-week break, is there going to be running sessions? Or what are we going to be doing? So at least if you know week on week, you know it's going to be more ta- more tactical, more technical, working on skill set, working on on uh, position stuff, working on kickouts. It's not going to be too taxing on the body. So yeah, week on week is nice. But obviously the downside of it is, boys, if you get if you get any type of niggle. Uh, you're potentially missing you know, if, you, you know, if you pull up there during the week you're potentially missing a, a full roof. if you pull a hamstring or something like that you're, it, it's hard to get back now
4: I was just looking back at the um, the result from the first round of the Ulster Championship that you were talking about the Cavan Armagh game it was back in April it feels like a different world it feels like the sport is different when the weather is good I've been talking a little bit about this over the last few months that like the competition starts in one season and it's finishing you know let's wait and see what the weather's like this weekend and over the next couple of weeks but it, it, I'm hopeful that the bad football is over and the good football is about to begin.
1: <laughs> you have great optimism. Um, yeah, no, look, it is, I, I think over it's been a lot of shadow boxing, you can say, over the last couple of weeks. Now you're coming into, uh, you know, there's a lot of matches that are do or die in some of the group stages that people need results. Uh, there's still a place or two up for grabs in terms of preliminary quarterfinals. Um, you know, you're seeing some of the big teams not guaranteed to be in the top two, uh, which obviously second and third is a world of difference because, you know what I mean, if you're if you're finishing third in a group and you draw Kerry and Killarney, now obviously that duck has been broken by Mayo going down there, but it's a really, really tough draw. So you're hoping that with uh, improved conditions... Um, that you know turnovers would be less but you know that just means the teams are potentially going to sit in more and, and, and make teams try and break them down and that's what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks so there's been a lot of possession based football uh, I don't see that it's going to change really just because the conditions have changed
4: OK um, in terms of the hierarchy of, of where teams are and how they're performing at the moment nobody has yet really laid down a marker and said we're the best team in the country by far or clearly and uh, I think that's also a good thing in terms of there being a, a sense of us not knowing exactly what's going to happen whereas in previous years we were basically pencilling Dublin plus one into an Ireland final and saying they're the only two teams who could, who could make it that
3: far
1: Absolutely like, I think that's great you know what I mean you, as you said from let's go back to okay, I think in 2012 May beat Dublin in a semi-final so from there you know you're looking at 10 years where you're looking at Dublin nearly getting to every final I know they got pipped last year but it's novel, it's new, there's a lot of teams with, with with new hope like you're looking at, Galway seem to have their ship really well in order, at the minute they're probably looking the most likely, Mayo went to Kerry and won, Kerry aren't going well but they're, you know, they're, they're going to come back with a kick to win this weekend, they'll have a home quarter finally, they'd expect them to be in the semi-final then uh, Tyrone had a good win against Armagh Armagh will still see themselves as Contenders, if they can get something out of this weekend, which would be tough for them, but they're they're more than likely still going to be in a quarter final. They could end up going to Killarney. So I think over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see a lot of the heavyweights coming against each other in a heavyweight environment where if you get knocked out, you're gone. Where over the last couple of weeks, you had a couple of heavyweights, but they they knew they had you know uh, a rematch clause or whatever you want to call call it that they had another opportunity of of getting uh, of getting back into the fold. So that's why it makes it exciting. The next whatever, five, six weeks, there's going to be some big heavyweight battles.
0: I think you called when we, at the start of the, the championship when we had John, Shawnee, you called Mayo, wasn't it, to win the All-Ireland? And, and like, I suppose they haven't done much to, to dissuade you since. Like the, the Kerry performance was brilliant, and the live game, as Tommy was saying yesterday in the Power Rankings, you know, if Louth haven't scored that 1-1 one, one in, in injury time, they win that <clears> game by four or five points, and that's it. Um, do you still stand by Mayo for the All-Ireland?
1: I kind of have to yeah and they're they're looking strong and when you look at the Mayo bench like it was the same against Kerry I think they brought on Durkin they brought on Hessian they brought on Fionn McDonough they brought on Tommy Conroy so they're doing probably what they haven't done before where they're kind of holding these boys in reserve and going okay with 20-25 minutes to go we're going to bring on real power real pace in Conroy Hessian Durkin Uh, Fionn McDonough can play can kick a point I think he kicked a point when he came on the last day as well so they're, they're doing what all the best teams that have won All-Arons. You look at the Dublins. Where they were able to introduce people off the bench that are going to make a difference. Now, I, I don't know. Kevin McStay will only notice. How, you know, We're not privy to what's going on in the old training. Maybe these boys aren't performing well enough to start. Who knows? But they're, they're definitely household names in terms of Conroy, Durkin especially. Hessian's a really good player. You know, we saw that goal that he scored in the in the, in the league this year. He's really, really high skill set, and he's a good defender. He's a good man marker as well. So they have real options off the bench now, which gives them a real chance.
0: Strength and depth is is, is a crucial thing, Sean. Isn't it? Like to, we were making the point yesterday. Like you know, say Derry lose a Shane McGuigan to injury, Touchwood, then what, they're gone. Then they're like, and, and Armagh could be something similar. Maybe with Ryan O'Neill. Um, like you look around and you try and find a team that actually wouldn't suffer with a big injury or two. There aren't many, but. Galway have more strength than depth for example this year than they had last
1: well they do because they have Burke back and they have Peter Coop back and then Tierney's the young lad who's who's really really good player and then you're adding in Walsh and I think Comer came off the bench the other day and kicked three points and he's obviously a big player for them so there's five or six really 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 good players straight away and then they brought on Tom O'Callahan, who's a good player as well so they have real depth and that's only in the attacking sense so You know, you look at it's like anything you mentioned Derry there, but at the minute, if you mention Kerry and you take Clifford out, they're going to really struggle as well. If you mention Dublin and you take O'Callaghan out, they're going to struggle as well. So there's there's a couple of really key players that you need to keep fit. You know, Mayo have them too, Galway have them as well. That if you're down them, you you know things are going to be a lot harder for you. But I just see with the likes of Mayo and Galway and Galway in particular, now they have such strength at depth. Like like Comer's such a key player to them to go to Westmead. Uh, not in a must-win game, but knowing that Westmead had a good performance the week before and to bring Homer off the bench and he kicks three points. So Shane Walsh only kicked a point from play. So if you're if you're looking at Westmead and you're seeing that, you're really, really happy. If you are given that before the game, you take their hand off uh, and then all would just have difference makers on the bench at the minute, which is probably... It's it's definitely going to have a big uh, a big effect later on down the line. You'd imagine.
4: Uh, news coming through in the last hour that, as it stands, Ryan Neal has had his uh, appeal against his red card uh, turned down. Now I think mm-hmm. they can still go further. I don't know which stage that was at, but the right. decision to enforce the one match suspension was upheld, according to Belfast Telegraph. So, Arma um, haven't clicked, and they're they're desperately looking for a performance out of nowhere. And not having Reyna Neal is not going to help them?
1: No, it's definitely not. I, I'm looking at them early on in the year when they were out, Reyna Neal. They didn't have him in Breffney Park. He came on, and he made that goal line clearance. Um, but yeah, he's a loss to them, you know, and a, a, he's a loss to them from dead balls as well because Armour are, are, are struggling really to to score a huge amount. You know, he, they kicked 11 points against Tyrone. They were pretty poor up front against Westmead. They got that goal from Turbot. Turbot started the year like a house on fire. I think they need to stick with Turbot to be honest because he has quality. Um, But the thing is they missed a couple of really easy frees when Rhian O'Neill wasn't on the field against Serrano. And honestly, if you're not scoring that much, you have to find different ways to score whether that be utilising the mark or utilising Freeze and winning freeze at say the 45 metre line or 42 or 41 metres out, and having a really, really established free taker who you know is going to kick 80% of those 45 metre meter freeze. And that is Ryan O'Neill, and that gives you a chance in matches where if you're struggling to score and you're winning these frees and then you're missing them, it just drains the energy out of teams. Um, look, they're going to give Galway a game. Are they good enough to beat Galway? Like they've played twice over the last year, and both games have been extremely, extremely tight. So they're not, they'll not be much in it, but. You, look at, you just look at the mindset of the two teams going in. Galway are probably on a crest of a wave. Connacht kind of champions, one or two games. Um, what does that do to their mindset? Yes, they're going in full of confidence. I, I'm thinking Galway are already true. Um, but they'll, you know, they'll want to top the group just to give them that extra week off. Armagh are going to have to come out all guns blazing. but It's just whether they can score enough to beat Galway.
4: Okay. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was the, the other group, uh, Dublin, Sligo, Roscommon, Kildare basically yeah. Roscommon need to beat Kildare uh, well to stay uh, to give themselves a, a good uh, chance of, of finishing top realistically you'd expect Dublin to beat Sligo by enough for that match um, in that match for them to finish top but it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that Roscommon do Kildare in this game is it?
1: No but I, I think Roscommon are a point ahead of Dublin at the minute scoring wise um, but Kildare yeah, right. have to win. like Kildare have to get something out of this game. But the big thing now is for Kildare and Sligo, you have a decision to make if you're Tony McEntee. Like Let's be realistic. Oh, you're, I'm all for optimism and anything can happen, but Sligo are not going to beat Dublin. Now it's can Sligo contain Dublin in the hope that Common outscore Kildare by six, seven, eight points. And it's whether Sligo can make a 70-minute game into where the ball is on the field for 70 minutes into where the ball is on the field for 42, 43 minutes, where you know they're trying to make things as slow as possible, contain Dublin, slow the game down, exactly like Russ did, if they get possession, trying to keep it for as long as possible so that Dublin don't have the ball in their hand. Now, it's going to be difficult for them. And to have quality up front, Sligo, that's my worry for Sligo, is that they, they love to play. So they have uh, Carabine, they have Murphy, they have... Uh, uh, Patrick O'Connor, Alan Riley come in and kick one tree the last day, but they're going to need to be so tight defensively, and that's one thing that they're that they're not really. Um, but it's a bit. It, it, this is a big game for for all four because, like, I I do feel getting that extra week allows bodies to come back. Like Dublin will want to top the group. I think Costello missed the last day with an ankle injury. You know, having that extra week is big for him, but it's also going to be big for Roscommon because you don't know what you're going to pull out of the hat with a third-place team. So you could get a really tough draw. Now, I know if Roscommon finish second, they'll be in the hide and they'll be confident of beating anyone there. But you could still get a really sticky draw. So topping the group is is very, very important. Uh,
4: realistically, who do you expect to, to finish top of this group?
1: Well, I expect Dublin to do enough to... like. To, Roscommon beat Sligo by 10. I know it was tied at half-time. But if Sligo come and play, we've seen what happens if you try and come and play against Dublin with loud. Uh, now, obviously, I think it's in O'Connor Park, which is different to Crow Park. But you're expecting Dublin to win by ten plus. Uh, Roscommon going to do that to Kildare. Kildare know they need to get something out of the game uh, to get through. And, and look, going into the last game, you'd probably Kildare were probably expecting that they'd be more or less true in the knowledge that Dublin had Sligo in the last game, and they didn't do their job in the first game to get over Sligo. And fair play to Sligo, I think they kicked the last two or three points in that game. But I expect Dublin to top the group us Common to be second and I think from there we'll probably get through in scoring difference.
4: Because they're having pretty um, difficult to find the exact word apart from disappointing in terms of how they've progressed this season because there's been patches of good play there's been moments in games where it looks like they've got a style and a bit of identity forming and then the next game they go out and, and don't do anything like it or even within the same match in the second half of matches in a Sligo game in particular um, so, what? Where? What's your assessment of where they are at the moment in their in their ev- evolution?
1: Really hard to put your finger on it, isn't it? Like you look at the Dublin game and you go, Oof. you know, this is a group that are are all in really. You know, such a which is what you expect. You know, a really committed, uh, passionate, well organized, really put Dublin to the pin of their collars and, and look like winning the game with with ten minutes to go. And then you're just going, okay. First round of the of the All Ireland series. Okay, we're away. That's fine. It's a difficult enough environment to go to Markovich Park, but just get in and get out of there with a win, and you're nearly guaranteed a place in the in the preliminary quarter finals. And they didn't do that. And then you go and play Dublin again, and you know it's a nine point it's very comprehensive, really. You know, it's not. There's games where Dublin you, you can keep them to three, four, and then they'll pull away. It didn't really feel like that. It looked like Dublin were in fairly good enough control. And I know Cluxton pulled off a really good serve, save at one set from from Dara Kerwin that could have tightened the gap a bit. But yeah, they're they're unknown really at, at the minute. Like I, I think if you're if you're honest, and you're the other teams and they get through, you're looking to pull them out of the draw in the quarter final. That's where they're at, really.
0: Yeah. Are there any teams, finally, Sean, for me, just beyond that realm of teams we usually speak about? We spoke about Common there, but you think of 2010, and we spoke about the, the madness of the 2010 All-Ireland there yesterday, and Cork and Down getting all the way to a final. Mm-hmm. Like, Could the likes of Cork or Roscommon or Derry, say to Monaghan, um, be in serious contention here if they, can, if they can build up a little bit of steam? Yeah,
1: I don't think they're... Well, well yeah, Derry, uh, I've said, uh, have a real chance. And, and Derry, that hasn't... I don't think they're as good now, and I don't think they're going to be as good, but they're still, they still haven't lost. So they looked under under pressure against Monaghan to pull that out. You know they they had a good win in Donegal, which is no matter how Donegal are going, they're, it's still not an easy place to go. Uh, they're going to be defensively sound. They're going to get goals still because of of the way they play. And if they don't get goals, they're probably going to struggle. So they're they're still there. Like Cork to me, Cork can trouble anyone, like we saw last weekend. You know that decision with the powder decision. I, I'm still looking at it a, a couple of times. I, yeah, I think ganey has a has a run at him and kind of goes into him. It, it's, it's a harsh enough call. So, you know, they're putting Kerry to the pin of their collar. Are Kerry going well at the minute? No, but Kerry are definitely all Ireland contenders. So Cork Cork can cause teams trouble because they can score uh, and they can kick from distance and they're they believe in themselves too, which is a which is a massive a massive factor. And if they can keep powder fit uh, and hurley fit, then they'll cause people trouble. But you're still looking at I think it's gone from the last ten years. There was only two, two, three teams maybe to win the All Ireland, and now you're probably looking at five or six, which is definitely a, a greater. But I don't see anyone really coming out of the pack to win it. They might beat someone in a one-off game, but I can't see them winning three one-off, three, three games to win the All Ireland. Yeah.
4: All right, Shawnee we leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Great to have you with us. Thanks very much, man. Enjoy your day, Shawnee Johnson. There, giving us a preview of the uh, weekend. We're obviously the Towson Cup preliminary quarterfinals or quarterfinals.
0: It's the quarterfinals. Actual quarterfinals. Actual quarterfinals again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, those four games.
4: Uh, the prelims are over in the Talton Cup, but the prelims are just about to begin in this yeah, sexy branding.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. Uh, it's, it's games every weekend now, I and mean, it's it's like, you know, when you're previewing these weekends, you're like, well, where where the hell do we start? So yeah, Cavan Down, Meath, Wexford, and Limerick Leach are all on Saturday, and then Antrim, Carlo is the the only Talton Cup quarter final up in Carrigan Park on Sunday at one o'clock. So yeah, some big games. to Look forward to in both, most of them as well. You can watch. Um, of course, there'll be updates across the weekend on off the ball as well, Saturday and Sunday, um,
4: depending on who you're following. All right, 13 minutes past 9, OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Edition is available now. Uh, Manchester United's 2023 2024 Premier League season starts on a Monday night. Oh, waiting all weekend, watching everybody else get up and running. It's against Wolves. Manchester Derby is the 28th of October at Old Trafford, and then a trip to Anfield on the 16th of December. Uh, first round of Premier League fixtures. Uh, Newcastle versus Aston Villa is the big one obviously mm. first versus second as the wow. season progresses right? <laughs> uh, Chelsea versus Liverpool is the um, pick. pick of the pick of the bunch I think that's an opening day game at the bridge at the bridge yeah interesting uh, and that's going to be the. I think that's going to be the Sunday game I don't know if they have a nice Sunday game yet but if Man Utd was on Monday then um, it would look to me like uh, Burnley versus Manchester City the Vincent Vincent company oh, derby oh yes Arsenal versus Forest, Bournemouth versus West Ham. Why do we care about these? Why do we care about these? Why do they make a big song and dance about the fixtures? Every team is going to play each other twice. One of those games is going to be at home. One of those games is going to be away. Why do we care about it? That's a fact. Yeah, it just whets the appetite, Jack. Doesn't. Well, it, it allows football fans to plan. Oh, I'm going to okay. go over for the trip okay. that week. That's weekend. important. Yeah, that, I, I grant you that. 15 minutes past nine. Some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. The new Formula One pod with Shane. Uh, football with Dan McDonald from last night in sweaty Greece. And Rugby Daily. Uh, great stuff from Richie yesterday when he was playing that clip of uh, Razzie. Doesn't sound like it's my games at all. From Razzie it sounds like here I've got an opportunity to have somebody who we might end up needing to use. And I'm going to put him in my squad now on the off chance that we do need to uh, use them. i going to speak with Joe Malloy in a moment about the golf. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Seventeen, eighteen minutes past nine this morning. Joe Malloy, good morning to you. Morning, Jare. Morning, Shane. How you doing, fellas? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, you're planning a grueling weekend of late night watching of uh, West uh, Coast Major. <laughs>
3: it's a disaster. Like, it's a disaster. In sporting terms, it's a tragedy. Um, these are just grim. So we're West Coast, US Open, Los Angeles uh, Country Club and, I don't know, maybe 3am, give or take. Going to be a very slow golf course as well. It's uh, a little quirky in a certain way so it'll be slow and uh, it'll be coffee if you're that way inclined.
4: Nobody knows anything about this place because they don't let anybody, no no plebs allowed.
3: No plebs allowed. Hugh Hefner, the Playboy Mansion uh, by the 13th tee, this is right in the heart of Los Angeles, like a stunning location. Um, Billions, I would think, if you were to buy this uh, um, property and turn it into housing. So Hugh Hefner tried for many years to get in, but they didn't love the cut of his jib. They were less um, impressed with fame than the Riviera uh, types down the road. So very exclusive. Uh, Hasn't hosted a professional tournament in decades. Hosted the Walker Cup in 2017. And uh, there's been new management there in the last decade or so, and they're um, loosening the grip a touch on the uh, doors and letting the plebs in a little bit more. And, I mean, it is stunning. Like it, it, It's um, it's often a thing we do when there's a major on it, of course, we don't really know, where you, you stick on YouTube and they do a hole-by-hole guide. And I will often have a look at this with a certain gusto and barely make it to past the front nine because it, it becomes a bit repetitive. You know, a golf course is a golf course at a certain point, but this place is... Uh, so interesting. George Thomas is the designer. He designed Riviera. So he's kind of seen as, um, you know, amongst the doyen of golf designers. Beautiful visually. The clubhouse is kind of stunning. Uh, wide fairways by U.S. Open standards. This isn't single file fairway and lots of rough. The fairways are a bit more generous. But it won't just be um, take a driver off uh, 14 holes without thinking and then play the part threes. There'll be lots of different shots hit off uh, the tee boxes. um nice to be able to work the ball both ways um you'll see lots of traditional californian terrain like scrubland around the fairways apparently it's the 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 last part of central kind of los angeles that just isn't covered in um concrete so geologists come from all around to see what california looked like a thousand years ago so it's that kind of place there um par threes i mean great variety to them there's like a 290 yard par three which is a drive and a wedge for us and then there's a you know, like a less than 100 yard par three, a couple of drivable par fours as well. Uh, the sixth is an amazing hole. Like some players are walking off saying, well, you're a fool if you don't just drive that hole. Uh, others are saying, oh, no, you have to lay up and it's a wedge. So it's not like, say, at Riviera, the famous 10th, where they now know statistically uh, after year and year, year upon year, you just have to drive it. That's the way to play that hole. You'll generally come off better there's a real degree of, like, golfing IQ here and trying to figure out what is the best way to play this place. We've never seen anyone play it before. And so, you know, that that brings in kind of a, a quotient to players who really use their minds. And, you know, there's a great video of Jordan Spieth and there's, like, smoke coming out of his ears almost trying to figure out what shot to hit off a tee yesterday. And Justin Thomas is roaring, laughing at him because um, he's overthinking everything. So, um uh, the three AM finish aside, like thumbs up for Los Angeles Country Club. It's it's going to be really good.
0: Saw some of the photos as well, Joe, online of of the Bermuda, Bermuda grass, and there's there seems to be a lot of heavy rough, even in and around greens as well. Like it could get pretty nasty for some players.
3: Yeah, this is like the um, before every major, someone does a video of someone <laughs> dropping a ball into rough and going, it's disappeared. That's exactly think, what i going to be. Seen, yeah. It's going to be havoc, and then it doesn't seem to play out that way I my sense is we won't be talking about this as like oh remember that major with all the rough mm. I, I, I think it's like yeah the, it does catch your eye for sure and I saw the same videos but I, I looking at the course I don't think that's the defining aspect in the way like it was at Winged Foot which is a good thing for me because I, I, I think that takes a lot of skill out of things but that said you don't want to be in the rough and the bunkers are very difficult as well Brooks Koepka saying very soft sand so usually you hit a fairway bunker and ball might roll back to the middle, whereas here it'll stick into that sand and it won't be easy. So uh, they're saying that like, you know, power is your friend and all that. They, they're anticipating maybe four five, six, seven under as a winning score. But again, right. they don't really know. OK, but like I, I look, that brings a little bit of
4: mystery to the whole thing. And I, I think it probably freshens things up a bit and makes that good. Yeah. Um, in terms of the contenders and the politics, does the politics have any influence on the contenders?
3: That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think there's a pep in the step of the live guys. Like Brooks Koepka, who's obviously feeling good about life, having just won the last major, and he's now in five majors, so he's there with, you know, Bryce uh, Seve and Byron Nelson and Peter Thompson. He finished his press conference yesterday uh, by saying, I'll see you all at the Travellers next week, and just got up and walked out. And the golf media were saying, Is that a joke? Or is he actually just, did he get an invite to the Travellers? So, look, I presume the live guys are feeling great. Of the contenders, um, when you asked the question, I guess I saw a fairly dejected Rory McIlroy in my mind's eye. He's the one, if anyone's probably feeling a little bit uh, down about the whole situation.
4: In the last 24 hours, the news is that they're going to just pay him off and they're going to pay yeah. off all the... They're going to pay on Rahm. So maybe that gets the pep back. It's like, well... Maybe. So I, I, I stood as the lone voice in the wilderness... I fought yeah. the good fight and I lost, but then I actually I won anyway.
3: Yeah, I mean, how are they going to do this? Where do they draw the line? You know, Shane Lowry got an offer. Does how much does he get?
4: Well, maybe you get a percentage of what the offer was if what? you would have taken
3: it. I know. But then you're like, yeah, no. I was talking to a fella. He offered me fifty. Well, million live, live. No, who,
4: who they offer to is the thing. That's <laughs> well, like, you know, enough. they they've got all the emails. Like we, no, we didn't offer you, buddy. I'd but like so, to you cut know, your jib for asking.
3: Yes, I know. There are interesting cases, though, like Max Homa, very marketable, up-and-coming guy. We'll be talking about him more in, in years to come. He was approached by Liv, and he said, publicly, he's talked about this, he, he said, I don't want to know the figure, because it will only tempt me. And so, he, what, what do we pay him? I Look, they're going to have to do something, because I, I apparently the players' meeting last week was... Uh, there was fury heading Jay Monahan's way, who's now um, uh, recovering from me- a medical incident. I suspect he's under a lot of pressure. Shane Lowry, interestingly, stood up in that meeting, according to Jeff Ogilvie, and at a certain point realized, we're getting nowhere here. It's all getting a little OTT. Let's let cam heads prevail and wrap this meeting up. Je- Jeff Ogilvie was singing Lowry's praises for um uh, real seasoned pro attitude now. But um, I like the politics. It's just there uh, for sure. And all the players to a man are saying... I have no idea where this is all going. I don't know what golf looks like. You guys know as much as me. That's that's the general um, line from all the players this week.
4: And the evolution of all of the thinking as well. Um, again, in the papers today, there's a suggestion that there will be some minor team element at the end of the season for them, but that essentially Live will cease to exist sooner rather than later because they don't need to exist anymore. Yeah. So if if Brooks Kepka is fetching up with the Travellers next week why would everybody else not start fetching up to the big events? I know. Like, that, that's just the end of that. And maybe everybody overthought, how's this all going to work? It's like, well, it's just going to work Still, they'll just play again.
3: Maybe, because like this uh, merger, don't call it a merger, but um, I think it, it's, it's not even a binding agreement, and it's just like an intention to negotiate and figure stuff out. They haven't figured anything out. Um, so on the one hand, there are a ton of protocol, and it has to be done this way, it has to be done that way. But then as you you allude to, uh, four people just sat around, ignored all the protocol, ignored the board and made this massive decision anyway over cigars. So you know if the sponsors of the travelers championship hear that brooks might be interested in the PGA tour say yeah you're not going to have the biggest name in golf at your tournament of course i mean exactly and so yeah yeah it could happen very quickly
4: and they have a partnership now or they have an understanding of an intention to have a partnership yeah. where it's in everybody's interest for the best players to play against each other as much as they can now because it reminds everybody of what they're missing out and kind of wins everybody over and all of a sudden Liv recedes and they they keep the heritage of the big tournaments, but they started this new thing and Saudi Arabia gets exactly what they wanted, which
3: is the way of the world. Exactly. Exactly.
4: So Brooks is going to win this
3: week then. Yeah, I mean, the only mark against him is with all his five majors, he's always played the week before and Liv has not afforded him that opportunity on this occasion, but um, the swag was back when he um, walked in alpha male energy so he's a huge huge contender and sort of has the mentality to go back to back not every player does John Ram is obviously a huge contender won the Masters hasn't done much since but there's always that kind of recuperation period usually and then if if you're talking like big three then there's Scotty Scheffler he's a very interesting case in that uh, T to green He's putting in all-time performances. So at the Memorial, for instance, the other week, Strokes gained tee to green. He was 20 shots better than the field, which is the <sighs> second best. Uh, imagine giving Scottish shepherd 20 shots. I think Vijay Singh managed something better once in the, all the years they've done these stats. But, like, second all-time performance. He was, however, not second last, but last in putting. And his putting has been atrocious. So... He's I'm kind of interested to see what this guy who's putting in uh you know almost unprecedented bowl striking performances but can't put at the moment is going to do. Um so they're kind of the big three and I at this stage realistically you're saying Rory's kind of uh, just not in the form to be part of that conversation. Is it hope rather
0: than expectation for, for Shane Lowry, Joe, do you reckon? Or can he actually contend?
3: Uh a bit a bit of both, yeah. Like He's, he has become genuinely, like, such a great ball striker. Mm. And this golf course will encourage shot makers. Um, and, like, you'll find yourself in hairy spots and have to show a bit of ingenuity. And, I mean, that's Lowry, 100%. The problem, Shane, it's just the putter. It's, it's, it's not going well for him. hasn't been for a long time. So that's the big concern, almost akin to Scheffler. Uh, with both of those guys if they get somewhere on the first or second and they roll in a 20 footer and they say my god that felt good then golf is so ephemeral in terms of the form that they just catch fire for four days and then it could get very interesting so that that's the question mark and and it's been a question mark now for several months so that'd be the worry with Shane unfortunately but like would you be surprised absolutely not if we get any kind of finish like we got at the Canadian Open last
0: weekend I mean you take that wouldn't you 72 footer to win <laughs> yeah
3: yeah, 72 footer to win and Adam Hadwin rugby tackled by security guards so it it had everything yeah I don't know I don't suspect you guys are staying up till 3am uh, with uh, I mean stay up all night watching the golf and straight into work is that the, the gig it's tricky see I'm at a festival huh. this weekend Joe I'm
0: actually off working on this so I could, you I could, can watch I could it. finish up the, the raving at 2 or 3 in the morning and, and just get the right. last
4: bit of the round perfect Perfect! What a weekend! Yeah, Joe in bed. Matt McLean, the amateur, he's 29. Is it? Do we expect him to turn professional if things go well, or is that like this is just his uh, amazing heyday and he goes back to amateur golf? And is like, ah, I played the Masters and I played the US Open.
3: I don't know, actually. I don't know. Um, I don't know too much about him. Um, I guess if you have even a sniff of professionalism, you turn. Um, so I guess that's his plan, and he's using up his exemptions now. Because why wouldn't you? So, uh, I would anticipate, yeah, turn pro, yeah. Kepke,
0: Kepke's in the opening round with with Rory and Matsuyama. Like that's a, that's a pretty yeah. interesting three ball restart. There's a lot of swagger in that group.
3: Yeah, the U.S. Open are the USGA are kind of um, renowned for like theming their groups. There was much um, the big lads. anger a couple of years ago when they had like I, there's no other way. You know, a, 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 a large man's group um it was very embarrassing for the three guys like it was it was terrible you know so i think what they've done here is almost said let's get the the alpha of the pga tour and the alpha of live and stick them together uh so at a glance it looks a bit juicy but they're um they're pally enough they played practice rounds together before the masters these guys all live in the same neck of the woods in florida see each other all the time so even though one's live and one's um pga tour they're all winners in life and uh, they're friendly. <laughs> uh, so exactly. I, 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 don't think, I don't think there's any um, animosity there whatsoever between Rory and, and Kepka. So that, that's not a bad group. Rory likes a bit of electricity. Maybe it doesn't hurt.
4: Yeah. All right. So for you, the winner's coming from those big three? Or is there a random outsider that you think is uh, going to?
3: Uh, I do. Look, I, 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 you look at Ram and Kepka and it's hard to look past them. I like the look of Victor Hovland who's been in the final round of the Open last year and the PGA he was in the final group with Kepka and he played very well at the US Open when he burst onto the scene uh, Michael Richards style in 2019 so I like him as you work your way down the betting. I sincerely hope Patrick Cantlay doesn't do anything he is the world's slowest player (laughs) and like I mean I would think he's going to be involved in a five and a half hour round here well, on this um, course, like especially ah it's a bad, bad deal, and then you're down into like speed is just not in the form you need him to be in. Maraco is interesting. Californian um, kid seems to play well in California, um, but beyond that, like I could make a case for the next 20 as ever in golf without yeah. feeling terribly strongly, so I, I, it's hard to look past. Ram and Kepka. Let's see how Sheffer is putting is. Rory is the uh, mystery wrapped in the enigma. And then I, I do sort of look at Hovland and think, yeah, you know, I, I, my life depended on it. Of, of those outside the initial two or three, I'd, I'd kind of feel like there's a decent chance you'll be hanging around uh, Sunday. But again, let's see what how they all find this course. It'll be fun.
4: All right, Joe. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. All right, fellas.
3: Have a good weekend. You see too.
4: You that's uh, Joe Malloy giving us his thoughts there on the US Open uh, reminder what's coming up on tomorrow's show uh, Friday Ron O'Gara Nathan live from Greece Pat Spillan Jr. and plenty more we're live every morning with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition is available now OTB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now